Thank you for tuning in. Wow. Are we feeling the Choose Strong community more than ever right now? This has been an amazing week for Eddie and myself. I'm so happy, of course, to have the people's man with us. The people's man, that is Eddie McRae. You just threw me off. You didn't like say, welcome to the Choose Strong podcast. I didn't know we started. Well, I'm pretty sure that if people have already pushed play, they know they're listening to the Choose Strong podcast. So true. yeah, I'm just, I'm just giving my audience the benefit of the doubt. They are a brilliant bunch of people. And uh, if you are interested in supporting our work. You know, Eddie and I love to podcast. We have an app. You know, we have released this YouTube channel. We are trying to put out as much encouraging, powerful content as possible. And if you're interested in supporting us, go ahead and click that link in the comments and download our Sally McRae Strength app where you're going to find not only physical workouts, but mindset sessions um, to strengthen your mind. And then all of the workouts and training plans that are in there, I do take quite a bit of time to detail both in direction, instruction, and, and in videos for you. So stuff is being uploaded every single week in that app. But uh, I just want to thank you personally. If you are already in the app, know that it supports Eddie and I tremendously and it encourages us to see you guys in there. It's right now one of the best ways to support what we do. The third thing before we get started on this episode is my book titled Choose Strong is in the pre-order stage right now. It will be released on June 4th. Now, I did self-publish this. I went through a um, company called Self-Publishing School. I wrote the whole thing on my own. So I didn't use any ghostwriter. I didn't have any like flashy marketing plan agents or a group of people tell me what to do. I really wanted to write this book straight from my heart and I needed to be in, in control of, of the words and how it flowed. And my purpose in writing it was to not only encourage and bring hope and strength to the, anybody that picks it up, but you know, there is a lot of um, insight in there just about my story, my background. I'd say for the people closest to me who have already read the book, you know, there's a lot of stories in there that they had never heard before. But, you know, my my journey in sharing these stories, uh, it took me a long time, but I know that a lot of good is going to come from it. So right now, the pre-order price on my book, I purposely made it pretty cheap because I wanted you to Buy a copy for yourself and buy a copy for someone you love, knowing that it is going to encourage whoever it is that is going to read it. So you can pre-order the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's on tons of other sites, too. Uh, You can just type in my name, Sally McRae book. If you can't remember the title, uh, you put that in anywhere and the book Choose Strong is going to pop up. There's a special forward in there by my good buddy, Nick Bear, and I'll be sharing that also in a social media post um, soon. I just want to say in advance, thank you so much for helping make this book a reality. My goal is to get as many copies out there as possible and just encourage others to keep choosing strong. Now, today's episode with my Pringle thief. Okay. (laughs) 
We're already going there, huh? We're going right there because there is nothing more that has stuck out. I have gotten literally hundreds of messages because of what Eddie did while I was racing, eating my Pringles. There were video proof that I still have Eddie turning the camera on himself on my Instagram account and eating my Pringles. (laughs) And it's the best thing ever. The best thing ever. And I'll tell you what, Eddie, you have gained thousands of fans as a result of your crewing at Cocodona 250. I can't believe the amount of messages that pour in about you. Not only just about that, that is a really funny moment in uh, in our Cocodona story that we're, we're going to share right now. But I'll tell you what, the support that people have for you and the way that people relate to you is really powerful because I know that not everyone that listens to our podcast is even interested in running, which is my hope. Like this is not just a running podcast. This is a podcast about life. And we hope that whenever we talk about running, that you can apply it to your life. But I think that what people are learning about you, Ed, someone who normally shies away from social media in any attention whatsoever, is just how dang relatable you are. Uh, you are real. And I think that when you share about, you know, your crewing, the way that you have so selflessly supported me over the years, there's a lot of people who listen who are in that same spot. You know, you don't have to be a runner or um, enjoy the ultra scene in order to help and crew other people to their dreams or even be a part of their race. You know, it really is a team effort. And that's something that Eddie and I love to convey. But Ed, it was, it has been so fun this past week hearing these stories and messages from other people that were following you and what you were sharing and how grateful they were because of it. So I hope that you are feeling the love. Feeling the love, feeling the love. I just, I just wish that they were sour cream and onion. (laughs) I can change one thing about it. Are really good friends. So we have like this group of like seven couples that we graduated from Biola with. We're basically family. Um, we all got married in the same year. We all started having kids at the same time. And um, one of them is the the commas, Kyle and Natalie comma. They're basically our brothers and sisters. But like they, uh, we saw them last night. Uh, our buddy Jamie Alexander released a film called Roll With It. So we got a whole big group of us together and we went and saw Roll With It. So shout out to Jamie. But we we met up with like 20 people. Kyle and Natalie had bought Eddie and wrapped a pack of Pringles. <laughs> True friends, true friends right there. <laughs> it was the best thing ever. So we go walking up to the group last night and Natalie comes running at us with these Pringles and I just, I lost it. I was laughing so hard. And she gave me yellow flowers. Yeah. So sweet. And Natalie fashion, she's such a giver. Yeah, it's it's been a fun week. I think that you and I are still kind of coming, I feel like we're still reliving it. I feel like we're still like in it because- we're talking about it so much. I mean, we've, we've gotten a lot of interview requests. We're doing some articles and some media right now um, on it. There's a film being made. Uh, make sure you follow Drew Darby and Tyler McCain. I will put their accounts in the in the show notes too. They are currently working on the film, which will be released in just a short couple weeks. Um, they are working around the clock to get it out quickly. And they sent us the film trailer yesterday. Mm-hmm. Pretty and awesome. It was, it made me cry. Mm-hmm. It was very moving. So yeah, I feel like we are still 
in the middle of the race to a degree. It's, it's not like we've, we've, we've moved on from it. We're recovering. We're trying to play catch up, but we're also having a lot of fun sharing about that journey. Cause it was essentially a three and a half day race, the longest that we've, you know, we've ever done. And, uh, we experienced a lot of new things and, and a lot of very intense moments. And so we wanted just to take this time to break down the race for you, our listeners, in hopes of one, bringing you awesome entertainment. So if you are running, well done. Or if you're at the gym lifting, heck yeah. If you're making dinner, you're driving in your car, whatever it is that you are doing, we want to say thank you so much for joining us. We really care about you being in our community and it means so much that you push play each time and support us. And uh, man, we're feeling this community grow. It's so important to have community and what a great community to be a part of, a community that chooses strong and supports one another in each other's journey, no matter what it is, whether it's in athletics, just in everyday life and relationships and career. Um, We're really stoked that you're here with us. So what we have um, planned for this podcast is we are going to take you through race week all the way to the finish line. And we're going to share with you guys some stories, some insight on mental fortitude, on organization, on, on pushing through pain, on, on grace and healing and recovery. Yeah. Everything in between. Yeah. How's, well, how's before let's, uh, how are you feeling? How are you feeling here? A couple of days <laughs> removed from that epic finish. That is the most loaded question of 2023. That is a loaded question, yeah. And I almost said 2022, so. (laughs) 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 So there's a little glimpse. All right, let's let's break it down then. Mm-hmm. What have you been eating since the finish line? Let's, what have I might, not been let's eating? Make it a little easier for you. <laughs> Let, well, let's just like let's just say I've been eating a lot of things that I don't normally eat. Um, we'll start with our our stop at Taco Bell. Yeah. So was... we're just gonna we're just gonna dive right in and say that. <laughs> any, well, that was a few days ago, and I'm still in pain. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we are not in college anymore. So talk about just hits different. Yeah. It just hits different. But here's what I did learn. Well, and we went, we went to Taco Bell. You went big. I was gluttonous. I went to the bathroom and you. I said, you order, get me like a taco. I or ordered two. 18 things. Came back. I was like, I'm not lying. 18 some items. Some other people joining us? Our, we didn't order drinks and my bill was $30. Yeah, that was $30 at Taco Bell is a lot of food. <laughs> I think I myself probably ate 10 items. Mm-hmm. There may have been a couple of things I wasn't able to get to, but here's the thing. I was especially stoked to not have any other issues at, at Coconut. I, I didn't have stomach issues, not intestinal issues. I wasn't nauseous. There may, I may have had like, mo, like literally minutes of nausea, whether that was because I, I just had this brief tiredness or we came into altitude or like maybe I needed to eat something and it had been a while. But like, I never even remember, I don't remember being like, oh my gosh, my stomach or I can't get through this. Like the only thing that bothered me, which we'll get to later was my feet. And when I finished the race, looking back, like my main goal was to eat nonstop because I knew that my body would be constantly breaking down, that I was, I was 
pushing myself and needing this energy. And so I knew I couldn't just do this thing on gels. And so in training, I practice eating a lot more uh, real food. And then all throughout the race, I mean, I ate everything. I ate yeah. lasagna and pizza and quesadillas and I mean, I was so much ramen. And I, I was just eating nonstop. And there is a lot of positive that came from that. But here's the thing. I still lost almost 10 pounds. Um, we just did a DEXA scan yesterday. And from the time I finished the race, and Eddie can attest to this, so I did a DEXA scan five days after the race. Now, what I looked like, because Eddie saw me full on, he couldn't believe it either. Like, I, I looked pretty wasted. When we did the DEXA scan, they said, oh, you lost four pounds and 1.1% body fat. And what we had what we kind of like, as far as like measurement goes is, oh, that number is probably closer to 10 pounds because I have been eating and drinking in a, like a super way since I've been back, literally allow around the clock. And what I mean by that is I'm eating in the middle of the night too, because I'm trying to get that weight back on as quickly as possible. It's a huge help in recovery. Well, give me a number here. And what do you think just off the top of your head, how many <laughs> drumsticks and, and Snickers, ice cream, Snickers ice cream bars. Snicker bars. Have you had past 10 p.m. this past? <laughs> Probably week? seven. That's insane. yeah, I yeah. Think, ice yeah. cream Snicker bars are my jam right now. But the they're thing so is, good. I didn't realize they're not even 200 calories. I was so oh. disappointed in that. So I started double fisting. Then those they're things. okay. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. So just so you know. That. If you're someone that you like to splurge on ice cream every single night, but maybe it's not a good idea to have like 600 calories of it every night, dude, have a have a ice cream Snickers bar. Yeah. I'm all about dessert. Like I will never do anything that says, "Sorry, you got to cut out dessert for the rest of your life." Nope, I'm not a don't, huge dessert guy. Don't but take those joy are, out of my life. Those are money. Don't take joy out. Don't. Yeah. You're not a huge dessert guy. Whatever. I'm you, not. you definitely like a little sweets. Yeah, but I'll like I can take it or leave you it. Guys, you guys, drumsticks. If you want to make the man no. happy. Ice cream drumsticks. Yeah, but I'm saying, jam. like, I can take it or leave it, but you give me, like, a yeah, drumstick or a <laughs> Snickers bar. Like, all right. He's never resisting that. Anyways, okay? back to uh, <laughs> you putting on weight this past week. Yes. Yeah, so I put on some weight this last week as a result of eating nonstop. So mm. I think what we kind of gathered was, like, yeah, it was probably closer to, you know, eight maybe almost 10 Eight-ish, pounds. Yeah. And some of that, I mean, you have to account for, it, it's almost impossible to not be dehydrated. dehydrated yeah. um, so you're losing water weight. You're, you know, you're losing, you know, other stuff. So that that's naturally going to come back after a couple of days. But I kind of do wish that we had a scale with us, but we haven't had a scale in the house in years. I can't remember the last time we've, we've had a scale. So I love tracking weight, all of that calculation, but I just tend to do it in a more professional way. So um, I don't get on a scale every morning, but I I like to do it throughout my training. So I go to these places like getting a DEXA scan where it's very specific. And I just, I try to keep the healthiest, strongest mindset about it. I think it's good to know what our weight is and our body fat is and our muscle mass and our bone mineral count. Because the goal is just to be strong. Um, those measurements say nothing about the, the value in who you are as a human being. They just allow you to be the strongest and best version of yourself. So, you know, if you know that you have really high visceral fat, which is going to contribute to certain diseases, like, you know, all right, that's my goal. Like I'm, I'm going to work on that. I want to, I want to feel better. I want to be healthier. That has nothing to do with the value of who you are as a person. And, you know, I grew up in a home where 
that was a huge challenge. I have three sisters and a mom and a mom that was on a diet constantly. So, you know, as a little girl growing up and seeing that, it's really easy to have kind of a morphed view of what it is to be valued and pretty and healthy and strong. And so I love being able to use this journey love being able to use my training journey and to be completely open and raw and candid with you, my listeners about it. And I want to just express like in the strongest, healthiest way possible that, you know, the way that I look at my body, the way I train my body is because I want to be the best that I can be. But when I think about who I am as a human being and, and the value of, of Sally McRae, it's not because of how I look or how much muscle or how much weight I have. It's uh I think it, it's it's about so much more, and I really hope that you see yourself that way too. It's it's so important that you see your values so much greater than than that. So it's been, you know, as we have have started on the recovery journey, I'm having to assess myself from head to toe right now. Uh, the biggest focus, literally to your toe. <laughs> the biggest focus is my feet yes that's where I was going I was literally going there um I think it's it's on the minute on the minute I'd say on the minute every minute uh since I finished that I'm getting a message or a comment about how are your feet doing which well when you post those nasty like pictures of your foot falling off like of course (laughs) when you have gangrene and flesh-eating bacteria all over your feet people are going to be shocked yeah I think um my pictures even got flagged yeah they did (laughs) and I'm the kind of person that's like very easily nauseated by anything like like I have so many friends that are nurses and doctors and surgeons. It's it's like almost comical. And and I could never go into that field because I think I would just cry or pass out every single day. Like I can't stand needles, the side of blood, and I genuinely can't stand like watching other people be in pain because of a physical ailment. Like it just like at my core is very hard for me. But it's just so funny that like I'm like, "Oh yeah, check out my foot." Like <laughs> it's so disgusting. So gross. But um, right now today, I want to convey to you, I had 10 pretty serious, I, I, I'd call them flesh wounds because they were beyond blisters. Mm-hmm. The heels were the worst. My right heel was especially bad to the point of numbness. It's coming back. The feeling around that foot is coming back each day. I think your nerve endings, I think they grow like an inch a month or something like that. They're all, they're constantly regenerating. So I I don't doubt that it's going to take a, probably like a solid month before I have 100% feeling in my, in that area of my foot. So I, I, my feet aren't numb, but like I have like certain spots on my foot that are pretty numb still. And I, I knew that. I think when I was running and pushing through the discomfort, I kept telling myself like, dude, this isn't rhabdo. And I would never tell somebody to push through rhabdo. I mean, that that you can drop dead because yeah. of that. Like if you do, you know, I didn't have bones sticking out through my skin. Like my organs weren't in trouble. I wasn't like urinating blood everywhere. Like those are things that, you know, you we do need to listen to like intense signs of our body. For me, this was skin. And I think sometimes we as individuals and and there's no one person that can say yes or no, or you shouldn't do this or do that. When it comes to pushing, pushing through pain, we, yes, we all have different thresholds and we all have a different relationship with pain. And for me, 
Um, I hope that you read my book. I have, I, I started out as a very young girl dealing with physical pain, emotional pain. And I think that, you know, in, in some ways there is a layer that has been built in me where I understand uh, my thresholds and I understand, okay, I, I can endure this. Um, we're going to be okay if we keep pushing here. But then there's just other things that I'm like, if my leg was broken or if I had rhabdo, no, like this is, that's, that's foolish because I love what I do. I love this journey. I love opportunities to be able to push myself. But I think that it comes down to an individual decision that we that we have to make when we're pushing forward and there's a lot of variables that that go into that but we can kind of tackle into that later on yeah yeah let's talk about uh i guess leading into the race like well the difference maybe between gearing up and prepping for a 250 mile race versus 100 mile yeah i think anyone that's listening that that has done 100 or even 100k you you're aware of how much gear that you need. And I'm talking about like, if you're using crew, so not everyone has an opportunity to have a crew, which even in this race in Cocodona, you didn't need, you you could do it solo. Mm-hmm. And I think Eddie, you were aware of some people out yeah. there that were all by themselves. Mm-hmm. I ran with Pete Koselnik for a while. He's like one of my heroes. If you don't know who that is, check him out. He's run across America. He's won Badwater several times. He's the champion of a lot of um, loop courses like the 48 hour 72 hour type stuff the guy is an endurance monster but he was out there uh we we actually logged quite a few miles together in the beginning he didn't have crew he had no crew and no pacers or anything i i don't think he he went on to finish i he, think he yeah dina i think he had i think there was there was thing it, it wasn't because he didn't have crew and pacers but yeah. he had like i think he had some physical ailments that w- it was wise for him to to kind of step off the course so but you can definitely do this race without all that. But I knew that you being out there, we didn't know how many days that, that it was going to take me. Mm-hmm. You have 125 hours to finish this course, which means it starts Monday morning at 5 a.m. And it ends Saturday. Is that like at 10 a.m. or 12 p.m.? Yeah, noon I maybe. No, I don't. Yeah, I think it might be noon. So that, that's a long time. And my A goal was to finish. And so we we're like, I think our hotel, we had our hotel all the way through Saturday. Mm -hmm. It started on Thursday. We got the hotel in Flagstaff on Thursday to Saturday afternoon, knowing like, I don't know which day I'm going to finish. So, but yeah, the, the amount of gear started to show up about 10 days before the race in our living room. And even the kids were like, what in the world? This is so much stuff probably the most that you've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. There's a ton that goes in because you just don't know like what you're going to need, especially not doing it before and you want to be prepared, right? Like Mm you overpack and Mm -hmm. just put everything out just to see, I might need this. I might, you know, Mm -hmm. better to have it than to want it and not have it. So I think one of the things that has also always been helpful to me is it's overwhelming trying to get get all your gear together. If you're doing like little bits at a time, like you genuinely need to get it all in one place and look at it for what it is. And so that's what I did. I brought down 
everything I could think of that was like my favorites for that category. So I had, I think it was 10 different categories. So I made a category of nutrition and hydration, a category for night gear, a category for cold gear, hot gear, kitchen. I think we called it like kitchen. So it was like everything that Eddie would need to prepare food, both for himself and myself, all the supplies that went into that. We had a sleeping category because Eddie wasn't staying in hotels. He's just sleeping in the back of the SUV. So we like ordered a super cool mattress that fits in the back of the SUV, which ended up being like a lifesaver. And like we had wool blankets because it was like below freezing at certain spots. So the, you know, in order to pack the right gear, we had to understand the course too. So we knew that the highest point was a little over 9,000 feet, but the lowest point was only 3,000 feet and you're in desert. And if you understand the desert, which I've spent many, many years training in the desert, which turned out to be a huge advantage for me in this race, you are dealing with very real temperature changes. So it can get very hot and then the night can get like freezing, but there's also this invisible force that many people do not consider and that is wind mm. and wind. And we'll kind of talk about my green outfit, my, my um, desert hat that I wore that seems to be kind of an obsession right now on the internet. Your camo gear. Yeah. I mean that a big piece of what I was wearing was because of wind. It wasn't because of anything else. And it, it I hate the wind. It, I literally hate the wind. There's so many reasons I hate it. But. <laughs> so that our gear. So what I did is I brought it all down in the living room. I had all my fates, everything. And then I told myself, all right, we're not bringing all this. Let's consolidate from there. So then I took a couple days to be thoughtful. All right, I have 10 of this. Let's try to just pick five of them. All right, I have 12 of these, but I probably need like four. And then we started to consolidate and pack and organize like in as best possible. And I feel like that was probably one of the best ways to like go into the race was mm-hmm. everything was was labeled everything was in its own box and then yeah Eddie you kind of knew where where everything was supposed to be but that was a huge undertaking that's not something you can do the night before the race no well to be that organized no way you can't like you have to go through it like systematically and be thoughtful of what you're putting in what box and i think it was super helpful for me because you know you're coming into these aid stations and you're needing something specific and me having a couple bins in the back that are organized and I'm, especially when you're tired and you haven't slept in two days and you're like, I want my, you know, wind hat and my mm-hmm. green like shirt. I'm like, oh, okay, well it's in here somewhere. I'm like super tired. And so having it, you know, organized and knowing exactly where it is was, was very helpful for me. We, we had my clothes organized into large Ziplocs and labeled. So it'd be like long sleeves short sleeves, shorts, Very long helpful. tights. Like it just, I, I knew that after several days, if you throw all the clothes in one box, you're constantly digging. It's, it's frustrating for everyone. Right. Mm. So I never, I felt like whenever I needed something, you had it in like 20 seconds. Yeah. Cause the organization was super helpful. Yeah. That was, that was really good. Yeah. So that, that was race week. And then, you know, we're here in Southern California, so it was just a drive for us. Yep. We were really grateful to not have to rent a car, which car rentals right now are just off the chain. And so we were able just to take the drive out to Arizona. We had a prom yes. that kind of thwarted our schedule. Happily, though, this was not 
like, oh my gosh, what a pain, what a chore. This was like, I was so stoked. Our daughter got asked to prom and it was her first one. And I'll tell you what, there's very, uh, if, if you are a parent um, or a guardian, you, you understand that there are only a handful of firsts for your kids that they will never have again. And prom is one of them. Mm-hmm. And, and even, I know there's a lot of people that never even went to their own prom. Uh, it's a really special event here in the United States um, in high school. Typically, the junior and senior year that you are in um, secondary school, you that that's what you do, and um, and it's formal. It's everyone gets dressed up. The boys wear suits and the girls wear long dresses. And so Mackenzie got asked. Well, we had originally planned on leaving for Arizona. I think it was early Saturday morning or Friday night. Even I actually think it was Friday night because we got the hotel for Friday through Monday. Yeah, well, no, because we were going to go to McKenzie's race and then we were going to leave Oh, that's that. right. So, yes. And then so, we so it was Saturday prom was morning. Saturday. Yeah. So McKenzie had a race on Friday night and then Saturday was her prom. So mm. we thought, you know what? We're just going to leave on Sunday. So we arrived. Which was your birthday. Big, another which big was day. my it birthday. It was a big weekend. That's right. You spent five and a half hours driving to Arizona on your birthday. I did. And Eddie was so sweet to surprise me. He had all of my closest girlfriends send a birthday video message to me. And then he made like this 10 minute. It's a birthday slash good luck slash some tips on how to run a successful yeah. 250 mile race. He had all my friends who don't run. <laughs> Give me tips on how to run a 200. And it was the best thing ever. It was so good. But that was like an incredibly special birthday gift. So all my best girlfriends. Um, best you know, part about it, I didn't have to spend any money. I, right? It was like right? the best gift ever. Whatever. I got into the car and Eddie had a balloon and a whole gift with treats in in the car waiting for me. Eddie's always been very thoughtful about my yeah, birthday. Speaking of, so. where is that popcorn? Do you guys... <laughs> Do you have any of it? <laughs> I love it. So then we arrive. Um, yeah, we arrived literally right when packet pickup was and, and check-in. Mm-hmm. And um, we met up with Drew and Tyler, who, you know, they're there to capture the whole thing. So we went to packet pickup, which was at the start line. It was outside. And immediately... I don't even think I was out of the car yet and people driving by like stopped their car, hopped out, said hello. We were taking pictures. I mean, there's so many amazing people that, yeah. that we met. And I kept telling Eddie, I'm like, the 200 mile community is is freaking amazing. Yeah. Like so friendly. I don't, I don't think that we, any booth or table that we went to, we we didn't have a conversation with somebody that was just so kind mm-hmm. and so nice. So like, true. We yeah. made so many friends, mm-hmm. and um, and I've heard this before. I heard this in in especially the lead up to the race. Different people would tell me they're like, "Dude, the two hundred mile community is a very very special community." And I like I get it now. Now yeah. that I've done it, I'm like, "Oh, it's because it's like the most intense event for several days." And whether you're crewing it, you're spending all this time with these like amazing people crewing right alongside you, or you're just like journeying through this massive course with runners and everyone is feeling it. Everyone is in this extreme situation and you're, you're right there with them. So even to, you know, up until today, I've been getting messages every day from the guy. I was mainly, I ran with guys the entire time. I think I only ran with the, there was just one female that I ran with the entire time. 
And it was just in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I was like the first like 15, 20 miles we stayed with each other. And that was really special. And I was like so sad I didn't get to see her again. But it was, I basically ran with with men the whole time. And it was like the best group of guys. Like they were amazing. And we kept each other going and we had shared stories and, you know, sometimes we'd, we'd look at each other in the aid stations. Like, are we really doing this? Like just wrecked, like mm-hmm. bloodshot eyes and hunched shoulders and like, here we go again, back into the elements. Yeah, it was the, this community is really great. So we did that check-in. We did two drop bags, which by the way, did we ever find my second drop bag? No. Uh-uh. Oh man. Got to reach out. Yeah, I know. Because I think there's some good clothes in, in that other one. but uh, You don't need any more clothes. I know. You can donate and that they one. even told me, you are not getting this back. If you don't pick it up, you're not getting it back. So that's all right. So that was uh, the day before. And then we had a 3 a.m. wake up call for yeah. race morning, which is very, very early. But, you know, it's, it's like anything. You, you arrive at that start line and it, the energy is electric. Mm-hmm. And I walked up to get my spot tracker and this really sweet woman walks up to me and says, can I, can I help you? She was a volunteer. And I was like, yeah, and told her my name. And she comes back over to the spot tracker and I notice her hat. It says, I'm here to meet Sally McRae. And I was like, what? So, so I got a picture with her. That was super cool. Yeah, that was cool. That was super special. But mm-hmm. yeah, we met a lot of super cool people. But let's go ahead and just dive into the actual race now. Let's get yeah. into the meat of of how this uh, all kind of took part. I, I, I got to that start line literally four minutes before that uh, gunshot. I don't gunshot, even know what they yeah. did. Yeah, it was dark. I had a headlamp on. Yeah, 5 a.m. Nice start. Yeah, very grateful for that 5 a.m. start. Yeah, so that first 37 miles is it's pretty much a climb right and your strategy was to go into that after listening to so many people talk and podcast you were like i'm gonna pretty much hike that whole section because it's the hottest section right and it's the big climb in order to save your legs for the end of the race you you kind of want to take that section pretty easy right that what you did yeah the first here here's what i was conveyed to me about that section. First 37 miles, 10,000 feet of climbing, fully exposed, hottest point in the race. What I learned in research articles, podcasts, interviews was that for many runners, the first 60 miles can determine the rest of your race. So whether you will struggle, you know, for some people it could even mean a DNF, not running it wisely and, and with respect for, for what it is that you're doing out there in that first part of the course can have some negative effect on you. So I took that to heart. I took that very seriously. And in my mind, I was expecting this grueling type of climbing. I was expecting it to be ferociously hot. And I think it was just because everyone that I had talked to that talked about it, it it was just so negative. You know, there wasn't, no one ever said, oh, that was my favorite part. Oh, that part was cool. Or oh, it wasn't that bad. It was like, dude, it that, that part sucked. That was so hard. It was very difficult. So knowing that, I, I, I kept that at the forefront of my training and I did a couple very intense type workouts to make that section easy in my mind. So I did some training weekends that I believed were much harder 
than that first section. So one of them was, um, and we have some pretty stellar mountains here in Southern California. One of them is Mount Wilson. It's a great mountain to train on if you train, if you race internationally. It's a great mountain that you train on year round because it sits just under 6,000 feet. So it's very rare that it gets snow. It definitely got snow this year because I don't know what happened with our winter here in SoCal, but we, we definitely got snow on it, but it would it melt really fast. So I was able to train on that mountain. And one thing that I did was um, within a 24 hour period, I ran 40 miles and did 16,000 feet of climbing. So I, what my goal was to to do a run that was more extreme than the first 37 miles with 10,000 feet of climbing. The second thing we did was we went out to Palm Desert during the kids' Easter break, and we got into heat that was hotter than Arizona. And at that time, that was only like 95, 97 Fahrenheit. And because I've spent years training in Death Valley, in Furnace Creek, which is pretty much the hottest place on the planet. My body does very well in heat and I I actually adapt to it pretty fast. And I remember, Eddie, remember when we were out there and I was like, man, I just, I, I know it was 95 degrees. It didn't just, feel that hot. It yeah. didn't feel hot. Mm. I didn't ever have this moment where I was like, whoa, like that's like a hot day. Or like, I didn't feel like with all that heat training that we did out there, like, I didn't have a day that I was like, wow, I'm worn out because of the sun. Mm-hmm. And I I kind of second guessed myself. I'm like, well, was it too breezy that one day? Like, maybe I need to do more. And then I thought, no, I think I just like years and years and years of training in extreme heat. Like my body just has become accustomed and adapted to that. Mm-hmm. And so it ended up being a massive advantage for me in this race because I can tell you what, I know that a lot of people struggled with the heat. I could see it in people's eyes in those first 37 miles. I mean, there was people throwing up. There was people laying under trees, like really struggling, sitting on rocks. I was never even hot. I mean, I, did, I wasn't hot at all. But what I did do was from mile 1.6, there was a creek crossing. Well, I should say a, a, a oh, small yeah. river crossing. So this is... Um, the first time that we went through water and I knew there was a lot of water on the course in the first like 20 miles. And I learned this very early in my running career because I had some amazing mentors, you know, people like Ann Trayson, who was my coach for a couple of years. And then just other runners that I had looked up to like Nikki Kimball and um, AJW, they'd always talk about how every single water crossing in, if there was ever water on the Western States course, get in it douse yourself, like get yourself wet, stay wet. Um, and then I've also in my years of training for bad water, I've learned about the power of just keeping your face cool, your hands cool. Like there's like, if you can do whatever you can to be like wet and cool, do it, even if you don't feel it, but you know that the heat is coming. Mm -hmm. And when we went through that first Creek crossing, I purposely had, I didn't go out with the front pack as much as I wanted to. My goal and commitment was to go slow. Well, at that mile 1.6, it was only like what, 6 a.m.? Like it wasn't, yeah, the sun it was, wasn't yep. even out yet. Right? And, yeah, it wasn't so even six thinking, o'clock. It was, I don't know, maybe like 20 minutes into yeah, the 520, race. 520, yeah. yeah. Uh, probably, probably less than that. But you were already thinking, like, hey, I need to yeah. take advantage. And it was cool to me. I, I was cold. Do you remember how cold I was at yeah. the start? Like, because yeah, it's, you it's to sit desert. Back in the car. Yeah, I wanted to sit in the car in the heat. And I was like, dude, I'm freezing. And so 
I knew when I saw that because I saw Tyler there at the camera. He was he had been filming that section. And I ran up and I was the only person that got in the water. Interesting. And I was shocked by it because in my mind, I'm thinking like, dude, they told us how hot this section is. Like the people have talked about the war stories out here of people really struggling. And in years past, they did not have one of the water sections out there, which you you get like halfway up. So we're, we were really grateful to have that, that extra water station, but I just thought I'm going to get myself wet. So I got my whole head wet. I got my hat wet. I splashed water all over my face, all over my hair. Like I drenched myself. I think that this was the start of a good pattern um, for those first like 37 miles. Because every time then I came on water, I did that. And I did not see very many people doing that. Hmm. So um, I want to encourage those of you listening that if you're going into heat, if you're running into heat, even though it's not hot yet, what you're doing is you're allowing your body to not hit its hot point yet. So you're kind of like elongating that point. You're pushing it out before everyone else where, you know, maybe someone next to you is going to get hot like 10, 15 minutes earlier than you are because you're, you're still wet and, and cool from the water that's on you. Now, the other positive thing is if there is wind in the air, if there's any type of breeze, that's another huge positive. So if your hair is wet, your face is wet, and then there's like a breeze hitting you, you are staying so cool. So I, I just, I kept doing that every time there was water, I kept doing that. So I think that really, really helped. And the trail too, as exposed as it is, if you pay attention, a lot of times there's a line of shade somewhere. And so it's really important that you find the line of shade and you stay in that. And that was another thing too, that I noticed. Yeah. Cause I was running with a pretty solid group of guys and there's the guys that stayed in the shade and the ones that just didn't pay attention. They'd run on the other side of the trail. And I'm thinking like, dude, like is such an advantage to get out of that heat, get out of the direct sunlight, stay in the shade. Even if it's just hitting your legs, it's hitting your feet, the elements and exposure over time, they break you down. It isn't even that you're, you're running and your body's getting tired from running. It's that constant beating from the sun or the constant beating from the wind that starts to like suck you dry, both like in dehydration, but just in energy. And believe it or not, mentally, mentally, you, you, without even thinking are like, man, I just want to break from this. And I don't know if you guys listening have ever sat like at a baseball game or at maybe at a sporting event and you're like, sitting with like the sun in your face or like maybe it's windy out or like it's sprinkling you there's a point where you say to yourself I gosh man I just want to get out of this like I just let's just get out of the wind let's get out of the sun like you you have this natural tendency to want to protect your body from the elements and so you know, I started the race with a long sleeve white t-shirt and then this sun hat, which I will give the link because so many people have been asking about it. It's just one that I ordered on Amazon, but it has a face covering on it, which is very, very breathable, but it covers up my cheeks, my face, and I had huge sunglasses. My goal was to keep my mouth and my nose and my eyes covered um, because one, I knew that after several days of sun exposure, my lips would get very chapped. I knew that the wind would dehydrate me and you get dehydrated very quick in your eyes, in your nose and in the back of your throat. 
especially if there's gusts of wind. So that shield over my mouth allowed me to endure the massive gusts of wind that were coming directly at my face. And it didn't hit me as hard and it didn't hit me um, as, as directly. And I was able to breathe better too. Cause I don't know if you've ever run in wind before when it's coming at you really hard, it, it almost feels like it takes your breath away because you're trying to balance out this massive gust of air that's coming into you. And so you start panting and sometimes you can start um, breathing a little bit harder because you're trying to adjust to the wind coming in your face. So I'd say that like 60, 70% of the race, I wore that thing over my face. Like yeah. you, you didn't see my face. Yeah. And because I never struggled with the heat in the night and even during the day when I transferred into like that green suit Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was wearing, it was a full on shield. I mean, it was, I never overheated in that thing. I never felt like, oh my gosh, I'm hot. And if I did, I would just take it off and wrap it around my waist and then I'd slip it back on. So the, the first 37 miles were about taking care of my body. The other thing that I did not use on this course that I thought I would use because everyone made a big deal about it was poles. I carried my poles in my pack. I never ever took those out. And I think that that became a very positive thing. And I'm a huge fan of poles. For listeners, I have used them many times in races. So this is not putting it down. Poles are are not a sign of weakness. They can save you and your race. Um, I know they did at the True Storm Project last year when my quads completely blew out. It was the only way I could get down the mountain because the poles acted like a second set of legs. So huge fan of poles. Lecky uh, is my pole sponsor. But this course, those first 37 miles, I did not think that you needed poles. I did not think that it was as treacherous of climbing as, as it was said to be. And, and, and a, a part of that is because I trained for that. Mm-hmm. I trained for harder terrain, for more exposed terrain, for more relentless climb so that on race day, it didn't overtake me. And I think that we all have that opportunity to do that, whether you're training for a 5k or a half marathon or your first 50k, look at the course profile, the description and everything is there for you for a reason. It, it's mind blowing to me how many times I'm in a race and people aren't prepared or they just say, wow, this is way harder. Like, I didn't think it'd be like this. This is ridiculous. This is miserable. And I think, well, if you signed up for the race, you had every opportunity to prepare. And we got so many updates from the race director, like all throughout. They came in forms of emails in YouTube meetings, and they would say over and over and over again about that first 37 miles. They talked about the climbing. They talked about the need to have carry four liters of water and the exposure and how difficult it is. They talked about the history of runners who have struggled in that section. And So I think for us, if we go into a race as students and we are respectful of what is before us, we have the opportunity to train harder than what the course is actually going to be. And that's just going to set your mind up mentally too, so that you can approach those climbs. You can approach that weather and and say to yourself confidently, I trained for this. I knew it was going to be a challenge. I am ready for this. I, I, you know, I look back on my training. I see I climbed over a hundred thousand feet in preparation for the, 39,000 feet or 40,000 feet that was in Cocodona. And I think that is something that will always be signature to my training. Train harder than what the actual race day is going to be. And there was a training run 
that you could have signed up and gone and, and actually ran that section, mm-hmm. right? So thinking back, because you, you weren't able to, if you were able to have done that like a month ago or two months ago, whenever it was, mm-hmm. do you think you would have, you know, going into the race, all right, I, I do know that section now, it's not as hard as I thought, or, you know, would you think you would have done anything differently kind of on race day? Mm-hmm. I think that maybe I would have rethought my feet. Uh, because it was it was like seven or eight miles in that I started to slip around in my shoes and I started to notice that my feet were going to be an issue. And my I'm I'm speculating. I shared this on social media. I'm speculating that I had you know grabbed a pair of socks that weren't washed that looked exactly like socks that I had been using um, in my training. I'm kind of hyper intentional about testing my gear. I literally wear my race uniform on multiple long runs before I race. Like it's so that it's a no brainer. It's not like, gee, I hope these shorts work out or I hope these shoes are good. There was nothing new that I tried out on race day. I think that that sometimes it's, it's gear and nutrition many times that can really wreck your race. And so I don't, I don't know if maybe I had been on the training run, if having seen the course would have made me choose different socks or shoes or what. But the problem is that I have run on every continent all over the world in every single weather Mm-hmm. system. I've run through snow. I've run through races, have multiple massive river crossings. I've run up volcanoes and through jungles. I've run on the hottest pavement on the planet. And I next to never have any problems with my feet. Yeah, And I true. don't use, you know, I'm not a fan of Njinji socks and all these different types of lubes. And I have all that stuff. I have all the lubes and the blister pads and, you know, wool socks and like, you name it. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of comments coming in these past few days. People tell me you should try this and this and this. I've been in the sport long enough. I've tried everything. And I think we all just have natural imperfections about ourselves. We're all imperfect that are going to bother us on race day. And for some of us, you know, people get blisters doing 10 Ks every single time they do a 10 K, you know, and other people struggle with their stomach. Um, I know several people that they can't run past the 30 mile mark without vomiting um, or getting headaches. And so I think when I was out on the course and even just in my training, I'm aware we all have our struggles. We all have things that that kind of mess with us, but feet have never been my thing. No, yeah. you know, that has never been a concern of mine. And so I don't know if going out on that training run would have caused me to pick different gear or would have shown me like, hey, carry sandals at that point or maybe mm. take off your shoes and socks and then dry your feet and then continue on because... I mean, that or in the race, was anybody doing that? Probably not, huh? Yeah, there were there some people. Yeah, there were some people that you could tell they were like really afraid. So maybe they historically have had like blister issues. Yeah, because so I've they... seen that in every ultra race I've done where there's there there's river crossings. You see people freaking out about mm. their feet. And um, I've always worn wild horse that are known for draining very well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at like Western states, for example, there's a couple significant water stops throughout that course that are like well before you even get to the halfway mark. And I've also, I've always jumped in the water, laid in the water and like gone through the water and run right through. And I've never changed shoes and socks. I mean, mm. that's another thing too, is I never even have multiple shoe changes. And I only changed shoes one time at, yeah. at Coconona. Once I knew my feet were really bad, 
about it. I'm like, we're going to keep the shoes in these shoes and they're going to stay there or else we're going to have a lot of other problems. But um, yeah, I think not going on the training run, that may have been just like that, having that intel on the terrain. I mean, some people talked about the kind of dirt or like the kind of like granite, the ground up granite, like they were talking about different surfaces. The surface was not foreign to me. I, I feel like that what we ran on, yeah, there was like some rocky sections, but I run on all different terrains here in SoCal and I get on a lot of terrain that was really similar to the entire Cocodona course. So now take me to the East Coast. That's different terrain for me. Rocky rooted, mossy rocks like that. I don't get that out here, but I wasn't like taken aback at all by any part of the, the terrain or, you know, anything like that. So... So mile 37 was the first time that I was able to see you. That was the first place that crew could see you. You mm-hmm. mentioned that there were some water stations as mile 11, mile 25, mm-hmm. uh, but 37 was the first time I was able to see you. Mm-hmm. And that was cool because before we were able to see you, we had to go to this place called Bumblebee Ranch. And we, it was a huge, huge ranch. It was super cool. Were there bumblebees everywhere? I don't know. I didn't see any of those, but... <laughs> I don't know the history of the name, but yeah, so we, we would, we parked there and then they had like this outdoor patio where you can grab food and grab ice and just kind of sit at tables with everybody else. And they had like the live stream going, chairs kind of, so it's kind of cool, but you'd wait there until your runner got to mile 30. Mm-hmm. As soon as they got to 30, then that you were able to go and you had to drive uh, along. It was like an hour on a, like a rough road. Wow. Um, so you sat there. And then you drove an hour. How yeah. long? Wow. Okay. That was a brutal, brutal drive. I didn't know. And I was like, oh, dude, if this, if the rest of the race is like this, I'm tapping out <laughs> before Sally does. I cannot, I cannot deal with this. What, uh, what was so brutal about it? Because it was we, just, we have an expedition. Yeah, we have but a it Ford was, expedition. It was a narrow, rocky dirt. Like apparently I found out it used to be like train, railroad, uh, cr- like, oh. Oh, wow. And they kind of filled it in, but it was, it was really bumpy and it was like a lot of those one way bridges. And so you're constantly stopping and letting cars go by and you could barely fit. Anyways, it was a long, a long, uh, long road, but. Was that the longest one of all the eight stations? Yeah, that was. That was yeah. like the most brutal. Oh, well that's good. <laughs> yeah. So then one, yeah, 37 was the first time that. I saw you and that was when you came in and started mentioning the blisters and the mm-hmm. feet thing. And cause we, at that point we didn't know how you were doing, like mm-hmm. what was going on. And so there you kind of took your time, had some food. Yeah. It's when you took your shoes off and kind of assessed and <laughs> yeah. did some self care and put some bandages on. Mm-hmm. And well, I did stop. Is and and that was the thing. As soon as I knew at mile eleven. Oh, that's right. You stopped um, before. I did stop at mile eleven. I didn't know mile that. eleven. Oh no, I'm sorry. Mile eight is the last like big fully stocked aid station, and I knew at mile eight this that something was going. On. I didn't have any hot spots. I didn't have anything bother me. Nothing hurt, but I knew that friction was gonna end up doing something to my feet. So I always carry like an ample blister pack with me, even though. I never get them. I always carry it with me because it's also helpful to give to other people too. So I took off my shoes and socks and I applied some right away, which I think helped. I helped with the severity 
and and just being able to push forward because then I didn't I didn't think about the rest of the time. That was mile eight. That was mile eight. Crazy. And I just noticed that it was so bad because what was happening was I would just be running normally, like it wasn't like a big climb or like a descent, and I would be slipping, like my ankle would slip out. Like it would like turn in and I was like, what? Like I literally feel my feet slipping to the side of my shoe. And then I would like, it was, I couldn't even get like good footing. And I was like, dang dude, like this is like early on. So in a way it actually was good that there was so much climbing Mm -hmm. because it allowed me to kind of just slow down and really think about my footing. And then what I decided to do, um, like I said earlier, was like, I'm not going to use poles. I'm just going to focus on eating. So I ate so much food. Like I thought if I can get ahead of calories and take care of my body in other ways, it also will allow me to not obsess about like what's going on with my feet because I have blister pads on them. You know, there's no intense pain right now. There's nothing I can do because I'm not going to see Eddie till mile 37. And I knew that as soon as I saw you, we're going to change shoes. We're going to change socks. We're going to take care of this. We're just keep moving on. Mm -hmm. So I've learned my lesson over the years of what happens to me mentally. If I focus on something that I can't control, it's really easy to be negative. And I did have a couple moments where I thought, man, what a rookie. Like, how could you, like, really? You had all this training and preparation, and here we are not even 10 miles in, and you're already struggling with your feet. Like, this is insane. Like, even having a moment, like, really, like, like a why me pity party, I'm like, nope. It doesn't help me move forward. This race meant so much to me. I gave so much of my time and energy, time away from the kids. Like, I'm going to do the best I can with what I have. And right now, I can eat, can keep that energy high. It's going to keep my my mind focused, getting in lots of calories. It's not hot. Like, I'm actually really enjoying this climb. I do like climbing, and I felt very strong. And I had committed to not racing, so I knew I was more in, like, the chase pack area pretty far behind the the leaders but I was I was okay with that knowing we had so much race ahead of us and one of my my C goal uh, so my A goal was to finish B goal was just to learn as many lessons as possible I really wanted to like enjoy the experience and just learn all I could about strategy but C goal was to get on the podium I think if any time I'm going to say I'm going to give 110%. I don't know where that'll land me. It might land me on the podium. It might land me in last place. And so I, you know, I definitely, I didn't have this mindset of like, oh, I'm just going to go jog and have a Coke and have a good time. Like I'm going to give my best, but my best right now is, is being patient. So I knew that the closer I got to Crown King, I was so grateful to finally see your face, but I was nervous as soon as I got in there, the live feed was on me. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in no matter how intense or painful a situation is, like our reactions are very powerful. And it wasn't a negative thing. Like I was so like, I love, I put the camera on me. Like I love it. Like I knew. Really? You do? Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I wanted to be able to say hi to people because so many people back home, friends, family yeah, said that they, they were going to be watching the live feed. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to wave and like say hi. And hopefully people can, can connect with me in, in that moment and I'm going to get some energy from that. And so that, that was actually awesome. But the live feed stayed on me pretty much the entire time I was in, in the aid station. And you know, the way that I am just on a personal level is I, I do not like pity. I don't like people making a big deal out of something that I don't think is a big deal. You know, I've said this earlier in other podcasts, you know, there's 
some things that I've struggled with throughout my entire career that I didn't really like let people know about until about like 2019, 2021. Um, all the things that have to do with my breathing and my, I don't, I can't breathe at hundred percent capacity. And so, but I've never wanted those things to be signature about who I am. You know, I want to be known for so much more than people saying things like, oh, she had this and she still kept going or she had this. And, you know, it's, that's, everyone has a struggle. Yeah. Everyone has something that they're dealing with. We are all imperfect. And at any time um, we can have a challenge and a setback, all of us. And I think that's, if anything, what more closely unites us. We're, we're united in our, in our struggles and, Mm -hmm. and we're united when we encourage each other to keep going despite that. And so I think it was so early in the race that I didn't want to make a big deal about it on the live feed. I didn't want them to be like, Oh, Sally has has blisters. And then every time I come in, that's what people are talking about. So I think that my goal was just to keep a strong mind and to keep the focus where I wanted the focus and the focus was to move forward. The yeah. focus was to be the best athlete that I can be and know that, you know, whether you're watching the Olympics or your local 10K, there's a lot of amazing stories of people overcoming challenges. I think we are built to do that. We're we're built strong for a reason. If we weren't built strong and not capable of, of being strong, then I think like life itself would have a different story for all of us. The reason why we're built strong is because life is filled with challenges. Mm -hmm. We're built to endure those things. We're built to rise and fall again and again. And I think I did not want to convey this like focus of, Oh my, you know, my, my poor feet when we had such a big journey ahead of us. But I will say with you, uh, my listeners, when I took off my shoes and saw my heels, it did take my breath away because I knew, and I know enough about feet. I mean, I've been a coach for so long. Um, and even as a soccer player, I mean, soccer players deal with gnarly blisters because we wear these super tight leather shoes. We want them tight. We want them to form to our feet. So that breaking in period sometimes can be incredibly painful. Mm -hmm. So I'm very, like, I remember having some gnarly foot stuff as a soccer player breaking in my shoes. But I I knew in that moment what was ahead for me because I thought, well, they're not getting better. They will only get worse. Mm -hmm. And I knew there was a massive river crossing further down the road. And I thought, I can't think about that right now. I need to do everything I can to get the feet comfortable and to kind of take the pressure off. They were already kind of swollen. So the first layer of skin on both heels was gone. It was literally hanging off of the back of my heels. And I had had a blister pad over both of those, but it like shifted and moved. So what I did was very quickly put on some, some lube, some more blister pads, and then taped up over that. So they were taped up pretty good with like Luco tape, put on brand new socks. And then I went to put on another pair of wild horse shoes and they didn't fit. And that was like, whoa, that was like the first time in my life my shoes haven't fit, Mm. but my heels were already swollen. So I grabbed the Zagamas. Now the Zagamas are the same size as my wild horse, but the Zagamas are a tiny bit roomier. And that's pretty normal with shoes within the same brand because the last might be different. Um, That's a shoe term, but like the last and the way the shoe is shaped is just a tiny bit different. And it was just enough that my foot was very comfortable in the Zagama. So that's why I kept the Zagama Nike trail shoe on and put on my pack and continued out of the aid station. And that first mile was 
was very difficult for me. I I think I hit, like once I said goodbye, all happy to you guys, I knew I'm not going to see you guys for 34 miles. Mm. I knew I would eventually be running into the night. I was all alone as, as I left that aid station. There was no one behind me. There was no one ahead of me. I wasn't, there was a couple times I didn't even know if I was going the right way because you're literally just kind of walking through this little secluded mountain town. And um, I had the uh, the map downloaded on my watch, some kind of watching this little dot. I'm going the right way. But I had a moment uh, where I just went kind of dark and it was just every negative thought just overtook me. And it was everything from you're moving so slow you think your feet hurt bad now, just wait in an hour. Um, you really think you can run another, I mean, I wasn't even, I still had over 210 miles to go. And, and so I, I started getting really negative and I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was because at this point I'd hit the Ponderosa pines, which pine trees just like overwhelm my soul. I mean, I, I don't feel anywhere more at home than I do when I'm in pine trees uh, some of my favorite memories of my life are with my mom in the forest up in Lake Arrowhead area as a little girl. She loved the mountains. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably why I love the mountains so much too. This breeze started to pick up and this I started going up like this really big climb and I just had like a moment. It's like a this brief moment. And I know you can identify with this where you know you need to make a choice. And the best thing you can do is to make the choice quickly and in the strongest way possible. So it's very much the epitome of of choosing strong. So what is the stronger mindset? Well, the stronger mindset is to choose what is going to uplift you and strengthen you and not choose what's going to beat you down because our mistakes aren't meant to belittle us and devalue us. Our our mistakes that we make because we're human, they teach us lessons um, and they beckon us to be better and they beckon us to keep going. And I think that I had that moment out there on the trail, mile 39, all by myself, that I just told myself, you know what? No one dragged me to this start line. Mm. I, I get to do this. This is, look at where I am. This is beautiful. And I know that there are thousands of people all over the world that would do anything to be in my shoes, even if my shoes are painful. They would love to have this opportunity to travel across Arizona by foot, to have this opportunity to push and challenge themselves physically and mentally, to have this fun journey with friends and crew and volunteers and, and creating a memory that I know is going to last forever. This is, this, I get to do this. And I just kept telling myself, I get to do this. And, and with every step that I was taking, I would remind myself, look, I'm still taking steps. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel the way I want it to feel, but I, I'm still going forward. And I just continued with that every time that negative thoughts came in my mind, I would replace them with positivity and remind myself like my bones not broken. You know, I don't have rhabdo. I'm not like barfing my brains out, dizzing myself about to fall off a cliff. Like my feet hurt, Mm -hmm. you know, the skin hurts, the nerves are making themselves like very apparent, but like I'm still moving and I feel strong. The rest of my body felt so strong. My heart was strong. My lungs were strong and I had really good energy. And so I just, I took with that and 
then I started passing people. So at some point I ended up passing a couple girls. I passed like five, six, seven men. I started kind of moving up in the field and then I arrived at the, well, actually right before the sunset, Jamil Curry, who is the um, co-RD with Steve. He was out on the course checking the course constantly. I don't know if that guy ever slept. So he was always kind of patrolling, checking in on runners, checking in on the aid station, making sure markings were up. Like he was very diligent of that throughout the race. So I saw him a couple times in the race, but it was so fitting. Um, Jamila is a good friend of mine. He came riding up next to me for about 20 seconds and he was like, what do you think? And we were talking about the landscape and just this beautiful section. He just had this big grin on his face, you know, because Jamil created this course and he loves his home and his trails. You know, one thing that I think is a bit signature about me is I'm obsessed with sunsets. And he looks at me, he's like, dude, the sunset's coming, Sally. You're going to love it. And then he, you know, he drove away. And yeah, in within minutes, like the sky started changing into these purples and Sherbert and it was so beautiful and and the wind really started picking up at that at that moment too so I was totally bundled up head to toe and I'm just watching the sunset and I thought this is this is going to be a beautiful journey it's going to be painful but it's going to be more beautiful and um, that carried me into the next aid station Uh, Camp Kippa, which um, I did a post about this, was very much like if you've read the Odyssey, (laughs) sirens calling to me because um, after doing, I think what ends up happening is you do a third of the climbing in the entire race in the first 60 miles. So the first 60 miles of the course is like probably the most grueling as far as like terrain, elements, heat and climbing. So surprisingly, I, I couldn't believe how tired I was by, you know, I think this was like mile 63 or 64. And my goal was to get 80 miles in the first day. I wanted to get at least 80 miles in and build on that. So I was so tired coming to that aid station. And I remember running in and uh, there was a couple girls coming out. One of them, when she saw me, was kind of stunned to see me and started picking up the pace. And I thought, dude, it is way too early to race, like whatever. And I then asked him, well, is this a sleep station? And the guy pointed over to these three giant, quiet, very peaceful, dark cabins. And I had a moment again where I was like, all I want to do is go in there and just sleep. But I had a goal and I really wanted to stick to that goal. And I knew I was trying to figure out like the sleep schedule, how to sleep, when to sleep, but I knew it wasn't now. Like it wasn't yet, especially because it wasn't even like, I don't even think it was even 10 o'clock yet. Mm -hmm. So it's not like even my sleep cycle, like my internal clock was struggling. I wasn't like in a really bad state. I was just tired. And I'll be honest, like the fatigue from the pain in my feet, I just wanted that to stop. And so I'm looking at these cabins and I thought, you know, I'm going to get some food first. So I walk into this massive cafeteria because this is like a youth church camp place. If you can imagine a cafeteria, you know, where there's tons of tables set up and they got the kitchen, you know, just like regular summer camp. And there was like 10 guys who I had been running with were all in there laughing and talking and bustling around the tables. And right as I walk in, several of them greeted me with a big smile. And I was so wrecked. And I thought I'm looking at them and almost all of them were pulling out their emergency blankets because it was freaking cold. We're up at mm-hmm. over 7,000 feet up by now. The temperature is dropped and all these guys are pulling their emergency blankets out and making them into jackets. And so I started giggling and I thought, you know what? Like 
they're tired like me, they are cold like me. And then I asked them, oh, what's the next section like? And a couple of them were like, dude, it's a descent, Sally, it'll be quick. Come on, let's go. And there is just something in that camaraderie in those moments that completely enlivened me and shifted my perspective. And I thought, you know what? I can get my emergency blanket out too. I can run with these guys. Like, yeah, like I can. And I love downhill. Even if I'm tired, I can run downhill really well. And you don't expend as much energy going downhill. You spend one and a half percent times more energy um, going up. But I thought I'm going to throw on my, my thermal blanket drink some coffee. I had some ramen, ate some other food. And I went back out into the night with these guys and, and they were all laughing too. Cause if, if you guys have ever finished a race, for those of you that like to do running races, you know, those big blankets, they give you those cellophane blankets that are like the swishy blankets. They're so loud, right? Like overwhelmingly loud. Well, the wind was ripping and, um, some of the guys were all joking that like, can you imagine the noise that we're all going to be making running in these blankets? And we were running with each other and you couldn't even hear what the other person was saying. That's how loud it was. Like it was hilarious. So we all went running down the mountain, freezing cold with these blankets wrapped around us with our headlamps on. And then that was my first time seeing you, um, Eddie. We got to Friendly Pines Camp about 1500 feet below Camp Kippa. And that's where I picked up my first pacer. Yeah. Um, summer. Summer. Yeah. 71. So I don't know if you remember that. I don't remember a lot about coming in there because I think I was pretty tired. You were tired. Yep. It was a smaller little aid station and yeah, you, you sat down for a little bit. I think I wanted to sleep, but it was you like, did. no, let's go. Come yeah, on. Yeah. You did want to sleep because you were super tired at that point mm-hmm. and you hadn't slept and you sat down kind of out of it, but you, I think knowing that summer was there and she was going to take you and and it kind of got you a little more fired up, you know, that you can get to that next aid station, uh, despite being so tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us about summer. How do we meet summer? <laughs> summer, summer and Bryce. Yeah. Summer and Bryce. So summer, um, man, she's, she's a rock star pacer. She's a rock star, dude. Yeah. She Incredible was woman. super helpful, knew the course. She's, um, you know, her and Bryce run out there part of the, I think the Prescott like running group mm-hmm. and, and really familiar with. And the, Bryce works for the race. Yeah. Era Viper. He, he knew the course incredibly well. Yeah. Yeah. So they summer were, is an incredible runner. Mm-hmm. I mean, like just outright she's an elite level, very powerful mountain runner, very strong. Yeah. So it's perfect to have her pick you up at that point when you're getting kind of tired and, and she's ready to, to take you, you know? So mm-hmm. that was a good person to, to have to. Yeah. So that was mile 71. Summer's personality is very different from mine and, and her overall demeanor. Like when you meet her, you would think, I mean, she's silent, very quiet, Mm -hmm. but then like once we'd be running, we'd like talk the whole time, you know? So, so her disposition is very gentle, so peaceful. Like she just had like this calmness about her that was really powerful, especially in my very low points. I had met Summer at Jackpot Ultra and this is just like March 4th. So I'd only known her for like, I didn't know Summer existed until Jackpot Ultra. And I was running the race and I, I noticed while I was running the race, all of a sudden this girl next to me with a camera on me and I didn't know that she was even in the race. So I kind of like just started talking to her. I thought it was just this girl that wanted a picture or something. I wasn't really like sure what was going on. And then she told me it was the live feed. 
at Jackpot Ultra. And I was like, oh, rad. And like every now and then, you know, that's a loop course. I'd, I would see her in the tent, in the media tent. I'd waved her and smile and we chatted here and there. And she sent me a message after the race and said, hey, if you need any help at all, at Cocodona, pacing, crewing, or anything, like, let me know. I'd love to help you. And she had been out, you know, she had paced before at the race. Like, she knew the course really well. And I told you, I was like, dude, it would be amazing to have her mm-hmm. help us out. So essentially, we were strangers. And then Shelby Farrell is our other pacer, and her um, husband, Jason, joined her. Um, but Shelby and, and Summer were my main pacers. Bryce uh, Summer's partner, he he paced me for one short section. But overall, Summer and Shelby each logged 90 miles Crazy. of pacing. Um, Shelby also is a wonderful runner, very talented. Mm-hmm. And Shelby had actually raced the course back in 2021. So she knew, knew the course, really passionate about the course. So having them... Uh, with all that knowledge was very helpful. But yeah, Summer picked me up. We descended into Prescott. Summer knew so much history and so much information about Prescott and where we were going. Like it was so fun to listen to her talk and she was just so encouraging the whole way. She's the one that told me that that one road was actually like a railroad track. Really? Yeah. (laughs) She's amazing, dude. Like she was just so rad. Like we had a lot of fun together. Like we shared like a lot of great conversation and um, she kept me motoring. Like she was just... She's so strong. And so. she's like really competitive too. That, that's kind of Oh, cool. we're going to get to that later. That oh, was my jump the, of the gun? Sorry. That, that's coming <laughs> up soon. That was like one of my favorite parts, pacing with her. But yeah. um, getting into Whiskey Row, that was mile 80. Yep. And that was that was kind of like the, the first like triumph of the race, I think, for me, like as far as like a point to be celebrated because I wanted 80 miles in less than 24 hours. And um, I knew I was going to sleep there. I knew yeah, that that's was- where you first that was important. So I came in there, I grabbed pizza. Uh, there was a really precious woman who had stayed up all night and traveled to oh, that yeah. aid station and arrived. She knew I was arriving Four, I had been watch- like 4 a.m. at 4 a.m. She watched my tracker to come and meet me. So I had a, a sweet little conversation with her. We grabbed a picture. That, that, was, that cool. was really precious. Mm-hmm. So we had, we had people like that throughout the race who took time out of their day they watched the tracker. They drove either to an aid station or a spot on the course. We had another guy just 10 miles later who he and his wife were big fans. And he had made a big sign, a big yellow sign, yellow runner, choose strong. And we got a picture with, with him too. But he had followed the tracker, found out, and just had some some words he wanted to share with me that was just so precious That's between cool. him and his wife. And yeah, it was really cool. Like those little tiny moments, like just in ingested me with so much energy and, and, and appreciation just knowing there was that much support and I think too even at this time Eddie you were getting in the live feed and in the camera hadn't you been in in on that I don't know if people really understand what kind of coverage that Cocodona does yeah they have amazing Probably the coverage. Best. yeah it's it's very easy to track it's uh yeah you, like you said you can follow the little tracker but they also have a live you know YouTube going and then they also have a chat going with, with that as well. So yeah, I jumped into the chat as soon as the race started actually. And, uh, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> and every time Eddie would go in, people knew that it was, I don't even think you had your last name up, but people knew that. I d- yeah. Well, no, I did. We it were connected. I, yeah. I logged in the wrong account. I think it just had my name, Eddie. 
And then someone was like, wait, because I said, I mentioned something about you and I'm like, wait, Eddie, Eddie McCray, Eddie, wait. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, no, that was, that was a lot of fun getting in there and just mentioning, you know, something about you or something like about, you know, how you're feeling and kind of giving some updates, uh, from what I've seen kind of on the ground there with you. I think people, I uh, really appreciated that and cuz mm-hmm. they were looking looking to to hear how you're doing so yeah but it was funny you know I was like every time I would go in there too and I would mention something about you like all these people started just bombarding like these yellow hearts and you know mm-hmm. just the chat would just go nuts you know, and, oh yeah, we're here for Sally. Yeah, go Sally. If it was like one of those, like I'm not a, you know, I'm not a fisherman, right? And, but my only like memories of going fishing when I was younger was we would go to those like stocked ponds where they're like these yeah. huge fish in there and they're like just thousands of them in like this tiny little area. And all you have to do is kind of drop your line. And as soon as you do, all the fish like rush to the top to get that. That's what I felt like in the chat. Like it's like calm and quiet. But as soon as I drop, like, hey, Sally's doing this, like all these people are like chiming in, you know, like it was pretty fun. Um, so I enjoyed, I enjoyed the Well, chat. for the people that are listening that took the time to track the race and for those of you that sent messages, whether it was through my Instagram stories as Eddie was running that or it was in the live feed, I can say with a, just a full heart that it really warmed my heart throughout the race. Cause Eddie, whenever I would see him, he would relay those messages. And a couple of times I cried. I'm just going to be honest. You cried a lot this race. <laughs> Mostly because I was in physical pain <laughs> beyond what I could comprehend. But it, it was just, I think I was just so taken aback by the support that, yeah. You know, it, it's hard sometimes with social media because you can't see people's faces and hear people's voices. And it's sometimes it's hard to connect with the enormity of of the support. And, and even like actually getting to that point where you believe that people genuinely care, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. I, I think about that sometimes too. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, gosh, it's like we're out there for three and a half days. Like that's probably super boring for people to track or like, how can people even be interested in that? You know, but every time I saw you, you would just like give me a a wave of, you know, this pile of messages and just the encouragement and the support that was coming through. And it, it really became a fuel Mm. to me. It became like, very real to me. I could feel it. It was, it was really powerful. And I, I want to convey that in a way that's like, that is there for everyone. Like when you're a part of of a community, when you open up yourself and allow yourself to be connected with those around you, you, you understand there's a lot of people out there just like you Mm -hmm. and a lot of people just like you doing the same thing and, and overcoming challenges as well and, and reaching for, for big goals too. And when we do it together, uh, the results are that much more powerful. And, um, I think that's how we're supposed to do life. I think we're supposed to do life together. I think we're supposed to support and encourage one another. And, uh, one of my race journal entry posts, if you're following them on Instagram right now, 
I mean, they will be up um, for always if, if you want to go back and look at them. But one of the things I said was the power at Camp Kippa, uh, seeing all the guys when I came into that aid station as they're putting on their emergency blankets and the way that they so um, positively encouraged me and smiled at me and, and, and really cheered me on and, you know, helped me get out of that aid station. They like completely flipped my perspective. Mm. And I thought, you know, if we did this in everyday life for each other, like the world would be so much more beautiful yeah. than it, than it is. It's interesting not, not to like say the story as if I'm the hero or like, you are though. No, so many this is levels. not, that's not the reason why I'm Pringle saying this, man. but oh gosh, <laughs> there, there was a guy in the race, uh, Nate, Nate, Nathan, Nate, Nate Williams. He, towards the end of the race, he was pretty, pretty close. He was a little bit ahead of you. So I, I would go into the aid stations and I would see him come in probably saw him, I don't know, maybe three or four times. The first time I, I can tell he was really struggling and it was probably mile like two ten or so. Mm-hmm. And he came in, he was by himself sitting, sitting down. I go, you doing all right? Like he kind of said, yeah, I'm all right. Like I'm hanging in there best I can. And, and, uh, I go, do you have any crew you know, with you? He's like, no. So I'm doing this by myself. He goes, I wouldn't recommend it. He, that's what he told me. He goes, I'm doing it by myself. I wouldn't recommend it. And you know, I don't have pacers or anything. And wow. I go, oh man, he's like, but I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be all right. And that was kind of my first interaction with him. And I just say, hey, let me know if you need anything, you know, we, I got stuff or, you know, I can help out. And they, oh, okay, thanks. And kind of saw him at the next aid station, just checked in. Hey, good job, Nate. Like, you know, plugging away. He's like, oh man, that section was tough. And it was this real kind of quick, mm-hmm. brief interactions and, but like I said, I saw him a couple of times and then I saw him at the end when I was waiting for you to finish. He finished before me? Yeah. See, look at that, people. Yeah, that's right. All by himself. Solo. And was in the top 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, what a stud. Yeah, but he, he came up to me um, after he finished and he said, hey, just, I just want to thank you for checking in on me and, and seeing how mm-hmm. I was doing and it meant a lot to me. That really was, I was able to kind of continue. Oh, you you know, so no, my point is like, <laughs> just like you were saying with those guys that when that community comes around you and just, you know, cheers you on and, you know, says, Hey, you can do this, even though you're not feeling it, mm-hmm. just that those little messages or those little nudges go, you know, go a long way. So yeah, yeah I, I thought that, that was cool. I love that. I'm just now hearing that. Like that's so precious. And I think sometimes too, especially when you're crew or you're an outsider looking at someone that's struggling, it's, it, it takes courage to reach out to someone else that's struggling because you have those thoughts of like, oh, they probably just want to be left alone or yeah. like, I don't want to annoy them or I don't want to like make them feel uncomfortable or I don't want to interrupt whatever it is they're going through. And, you know, and sometimes you will get like a short response or like a curt response or just something small. But, you know, so often when, when people are struggling, it's, it's such an inward wrestling mm-hmm. and, Sometimes it does take finishing a race or like retrospect to, to realize like, man, that I, I'm so grateful that person said that to me. It meant more to me than I, than I knew in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, how often do we realize, you know, the things that are good and that are helpful later on, yeah. you know, I didn't realize I needed that. I didn't realize like how much that motivated me to keep going, but it did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that human the real face-to-face human connection, there's nothing more powerful than that. I know nope. we live in such a digital stage right now and we we are trying to connect and through screens, but man, the, the face-to-face is will always be 
the most powerful way. Yeah. And I'm sure you just seeing him, remembering his name yeah. um, in those aid stations. That is so powerful. Mm-hmm. I love that. Shout out to Nate, man. Yeah. Seriously. Top 20 finisher. Heck yeah. Yep. Dude, what a, what a rock star doing it all by himself. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So you got into mile like 100 was the next big, uh, well, mm-hmm. I guess there was another aid station after Whiskey Row, but 100 is where. Yeah. That's like the more significant. It was a big one. And that's yeah. when you really kind of went to work on, on your on feet. On the feet. You yeah. The EMT get involved and the medics kind of look at it. and Yeah. Shelby had picked me up um, after I slept for an hour, which was great. I I can't tell you guys enough. This has been a big obstacle for me going in. I had no idea how sleep would be. I'll tell you straight up that I slept a total of two hours and like between 30 and 40 minutes grand total. Yeah, I was taking notes actually like when or how, how much you slept. Like I wrote down one hour, 15 minutes at Whiskey Row. And then you had a five minute nap at mile 110. Like I yeah. was kind of listing these out. And then I got so tired myself. I'm like, ah, oh, screw it. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't remember. I don't remember later. So Eddie tapped out in the uh, data log there. I'm like I'm getting my own sleep. <laughs> <laughs> you start writing down. No one asked me how much yeah. I slept. Eddie slept seven minutes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was actually a big concern for me too crew has to take care of themselves. And I knew that Eddie, you know, it, that's hard when you're, it's, it's such a different type of sleep, uh, schedule when, when your purpose is to be moving constantly. But for you, it's like staying alert cause you're concerned mm-hmm. for me and wanting everything to be organized and ready and like mm-hmm. there on time. And you don't want to miss me. Like that's hard to fall asleep yeah, because you're always constantly thinking, about me and that can wear you down. And so, um, the first two nights it was, cause I was like, so by the third night I'm like, ah, dude, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> she catches me over here sleeping. That's whatever. She can wake me up. <laughs> if Nate can do this by himself, she can that's too. Right. <laughs> Seriously. So I think the, the sleep was, I think I, I nailed on the head. What I learned from uh, research was try to get sleep the first night. Even if you don't want it, do your best to get the first night. And then don't overlook those moments where you might just need to stop for like a dirt nap. And I think I took probably four of those, but they were only seven minutes. And it's funny because I think almost all of them were with Summer. I think I only had one with Shelby. I'd sit on a rock. Did you ever lay down or is this No, yeah. I was so tired in those moments that I would sit on a rock and I would drop my head onto like my crossed arms and I was out in less than 60 seconds. That's how I knew that I needed it. Yeah. Had it ever been uh, that I was laying there for trying to sleep for more than 60 seconds and I would just get up. But there was never a time that when I, I sat down to sleep that I didn't fall asleep immediately. Now, do you think those, those seven minutes that when you got up, you're like recharged, ready to rock. Totally recharged. I dreamed each time. Summer told me two of the times I was snoring. Really? Yeah. She's like, dude, you were snoring like immediately. Like I was so bad for you. I know (laughs) that's, that's when you know the sleep's bad, right? Like you fall asleep that fast. And I dreamed every time, but it was really interesting because I told her, don't let me sleep past seven minutes. I thought in my mind mentally, I thought five minutes is too short. Mm. Um, it did like two minute nap. Three, like doesn't even make any sense to me. Cause I'm like, it takes a minute just to get settled. 
Like yeah. it takes a minute to sit down, like get your pack kind of like in a comfortable place and like get your body comfortable and then put your head down, close your eyes, settle in. Yeah. Like five is not. There enough. you go. That's, that's two what, minutes. That's yeah. what's like so nice about having a snooze button. It's like oh, nine yes. minutes. Like yeah. that's, that's way better than like yeah. three minutes. Right. Nine yeah. is like I can get back to sleep. So I probably actually slept for five minutes because yeah. I just let my body settle. And then when I would wake up, I'd kind of sit there just for like a minute. Like, okay, how do I feel? And there was one time that I told um, Summer, I need a couple more minutes. So there was only one time where I was like, that that wasn't long enough. And mm-hmm. I think I did like, okay, let me do like five more minutes. Immediately fell asleep mm-hmm. again. So the sleep like felt great. And I don't think I understood how sleep deprived I was until after the race when I yeah. will talk about that later. Well, and you came into the aid stations a couple of times and said, I need to lay down for 15 minutes. Yeah. And so I'd set a timer and then wake you up and you're like, no, I need a few more minutes. Like, yeah. you mean another five, another whatever. You yeah. did that a couple of times because you knew that you I just needed knew. some sleep. Well, it's one of those races too. And this is something I had to have, like, I, I needed to learn was in those moments, I'm like, I still have 80 or 90 miles to go. It was, it was that. So a hundred mile distance for me, it's like, yeah, I'm out there. I'm running 17, 18 hours. Like I'm not thinking about sleeping. I'm just thinking about getting to the finish line. And even if I'm tired, I'm pushing through that. Like I don't need to sleep, but for this, I had to train my brain and help it understand that those recovery sleep periods are actually what helped me push Mm. because there was three times in the race that I literally did like fart lick workouts with the girls where I was like, okay, I I need to bury the people behind me. Like we need to push right here. And we would push for like 10, 12 miles. And I knew that had I not slept, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And what I didn't want was for the sleep deprivation to be compounded. So there's always that side of me that's like, I can, I can push through this. I can, I can push through this tiredness. Like I can keep going and I probably could. But the problem is, is that, the quality of my running and the pace and my coherency just would have gotten worse and worse. And so I think that it was good to force myself to sleep when I needed it, knowing that every time I did that, I just felt better. Yeah. And I felt like more alert and, and awake. So I know sleep is like one of the big you know, question marks going into it. And it's like when you talk to people or when I talk to people about what you just did, you know, 250 mile race, like people always ask, how much did she sleep? Did she sleep? You know, what's that strategy? Like mm-hmm. that's a huge, huge topic. So now that you've done this 250 mile race and looking to the next one, do you think uh, you're going to keep that same strategy or do you think it's wiser to bank some, you know, a couple hours early in the race and then maybe do it again later versus the dirt naps? I think part of the sleep strategy has to do with how the course runs. Mm. So because the course had so much exposed hot climbing in the beginning, I knew that sleeping in the first 24 hours would have been crucial. Whereas last year's course was very different. So every year of Cocodona, the course has been different. This year's course was probably the most similar to the first year. Um, Last year was a much faster course, which um, I will say when you look at the times of this year, it just makes those top athletes like even more stellar because it's incredible what they did. Last year, they didn't have the big um, exposed climb that we have. They didn't have that 10,000 foot push. 
So I think that because of how the course ran on the first day, that dictated my sleep. There is discussion about running for 70 hours or less. If you run 70 hours or less, there is discussion that you don't need to focus so much on sleep, Hmm. that you actually can push push through. through. Yeah, or you can get through with very little sleep. Like you can do like a couple like little naps. If you can, if you know you're only going to be out there for 50, 60 hours and then that's it. Yeah, makes sense. Um, But if you're going to be out there longer than 70 hours, like you need to take care of yourself, you need to sleep. So I am curious about that because Cocodona is the longest of the 200s that we have on the calendar. And so looking at Tahoe 200, I don't know. I'm going to take some time to study the course a little bit more and look at the type of climbing, the altitude, the weather, like all of that and and determine where I will sleep. But I, I do believe that the race is long enough where if you have a segment of recovery that you can go faster in the later stage of the race and end up catching someone that didn't, that didn't take the time to rest and recover because you're just fresher. You're Mm. more alert. You have more energy. You're able to push a little bit harder. And I definitely felt that in the longer stretches when I did like the hour and hour and a half of sleeping, I felt like, wow, like I was like good for hours and hours and hours before I needed like a little five minute nap. So yeah, yeah. that's what I was curious about because I know after you woke up from those, longer times of sleep you were really like rested and you know charged and and ready to to push that next section so mm-hmm. i'm just curious if that if it's if it's wiser to get 30 to 45 minutes or even an hour versus like five or six seven minutes at a time mm-hmm. i don't know yeah we came into fane ranch which is about 100 miles in Um, The feet were hurting pretty bad because we had run through this big pasture and the pasture was all potholes. There wasn't like you kind of had to just follow the flags across the field. There wasn't a trail. And and it was like the long grass, like the really long willowy willowy grass that just kind of like brushed your shins. Like I have so many cuts all across my legs from it. That terrain, it caused my feet to constantly be moving in really awkward lateral. Um, Feels really good when you have blisters. Oh my gosh. So my feet were constantly moving laterally, but then you couldn't get good footing for running because it was like so many potholes. So we did do probably more hiking on that. Like when I saw the field, I was like stoked, dude, we're going to run across this thing. And it was like really difficult to run across. And it was like five miles of that. We got into the 100 mile aid station and there was fields beyond the 100 mile too. So in total, it was like five miles, but there was some ENT there, some ENTs there. And I really did not want EMTs to work on my feet, nothing against them, but I just thought this will they're so thorough. Yeah. You know, like they take what they do very seriously, their which job, yeah. it's their job. And in in my mind, I very much appreciate that outside of a race. Mm-hmm. So I knew that there would be an inner struggle on my end where I'd want to say like, Hey, can you guys hurry up? Like this doesn't need to be perfect. You don't need to like assess every teeny tiny centimeter of my feet. And my feet were so bad that I knew that when they saw them, that there's two guys working on him. And I knew that it was a gamble. It was a gamble of they're going to disrupt my feet and maybe make them worse. I also believe that there are several 
different philosophies and methods on how to care for feet and everyone is different. You know, some people say, oh, you you know, you have to wear in gingy socks. Other people are like Luco tape. Others are like, no, not Luco tape, only in certain situations. Some people love, you know, squirrels nut butter. Other people stick to Vaseline. I mean, there's so many different things that, you know, people find their own methods and they think this is the one way to do it. And I just, I, I don't, think that there's a one perfect way because everyone's feet are different from the shape of your feet, even genetically your type of skin and the skin elasticity. I mean, that has a big part and a a reason as to why some people get blisters more than others. You know, if you have bunions, if you have corns, if you have flat feet, if you have, you know, high arches, like your shoes are just going to be rubbing different ways on your feet. Different terrain is going to affect it. And so again, I've also very pridefully uh, been stoked that my feet have never had these problems. And so, and I don't like people touching my feet. So I can't remember the last time that I've even had a pedicure. I don't let people mess with my calluses. Um, I do all my foot care by myself. And so, um, having these EMTs handle my feet when they are in the worst state that I've ever seen in my life, it took a lot of trust. Mm -hmm. And I committed to, if I'm going to sit here, it took them 30 minutes to work on my feet, which that was, it was a long time, made me not happy. But, but at the same time I thought, well, I need it. Sometimes you need to sit mm-hmm. and take care of yourself and slow down in order to keep on going. And so what I told myself was this will be the last time that I take off my shoes and socks and work on my feet. This yeah. is it. So that's mile 100. That so was mile 100. Like, nope, no more after yeah. that. Yeah. No, no more shoe change, no sock change from then on out for the next 150 miles after the guy. And they tape me up solidly. I think Drew and Tyler will have that on the film. What they look like at mile 100 was, was way better than, um, I think if they show that in the film, you'll see that they are not as ripped up yet. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I don't think I let the EMTs touch my heels. The heels were already so bad that what they did was they re-secured the bandages that I had made. Yeah. And then they reinforced them with Luco tape. I mean, they were like solid in there, which was awesome. And then they worked on all my um, toes because the toes were starting to get really bad. There was like several blisters. The skin was, there was some bloody skin and some wearing away. I had blisters underneath uh, calluses. And so they started to kind of get to work on all of those. I think there was one time I did take off one shoe. I could feel something move. It was in the back of the car, like around mile, like 120. I think I fixed like a piece of tape. Yeah. Well, you took it out because remember I was, I remember grinding your Achilles with my That's right. My I thumb. had something wrong with my arch. Yeah. Was that all I or, did? Yeah. Sorry, your Achilles and your arch. Yeah. In the ankle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In your ankle. But yeah. Yeah. You're right. And remember, I was like, but that was, that I was, was like probably, groaning. Yeah, I that wasn't blister. No, that was that was. I, I think forgot about that. Your foot, you're making up for maybe the blisters and yeah. putting stress on your Achilles, which affected the arch yeah. of your foot. And was so oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, but I did. Yeah, so I think the only time I ever took off the shoe was yeah, that was like mile one like around 144 something like that. I did take it off and I, so yeah, I was overcompensating, running really awkwardly. And then the whole, the plantar tendon in my arch 
became so overwhelmingly tight, tight that every rock that I came upon, I would dig my arch into it. Mm, like yeah. I'd step on it and just dig and dig and dig. And then that ankle became incredibly sore. So I came in and I took off my shoe and Eddie just went to town on my arch and my ankle. And I was like groaning. Yeah, I was like, oh, oh my gosh. Like it was like taking my breath away, but it was like hurt so good. Mm. And I just kept telling, I go dig in there, like get in there, loosen it up. And it was like, it was like rock solid. Yeah, it was. And you were trying to like grind in there to loosen it up. And then he started working on my ankle and it was like all the tendons and muscles around my ankles. They, it was like kind of the same thing. Like it's kind of like when you get a sports massage, like that deep tissue where it like it hurts, but it feels good. And you want him to dig in cause you need him to loosen it up, but it hurts. Mm -hmm. And you did that actually at a few aid stations. That was the only time I took my shoe off, but I remember I would come in and keep my shoe on and you would dig into my heel Yeah, yep. and I would just like, I, I like tears well up in my eyes because it just like, like that was pain. all like overcompensating to try and like take the pressure off whatever it was I was feeling in the heel. But yeah, so we um we continued on. We climbed a mountain. We went up to Mingus Mountain. I ate some lasagna. I rested. You had some Flota. I had some Flota, yeah. which was incredible. Um, I had another little challenge. Mother Mother Nature decided to visit me, so that was uh, that wasn't fun, uh, which also explained like some of some other fatigue and tightness I was struggling with. But we then descended that mountain, and I passed I passed the fifth place female, and I was with Shelby at that time. I remember my my feet were were not feeling awesome, but as we as we descended, and Shelby's such a great runner, and she's so positive, and we see that that fifth place female, and I thought, let's just go have some fun. Like I had committed to not racing until mile one fifty. We were not at mile one fifty yet, but I told her I was like, dude, let's just do it. So we we passed her, and then Shelby and I we went hard. We went hard for a couple miles, and we both committed to like let's gap her. And so, I have this little uh, racing term that I like to use that I shared with Shelby in summer that they got a kick out of, and it's pass, gap, and bury. It's just a nice little competitive focus. If if you do like to race, it's a good strategy. You know, when you pass someone, I think you should always pass with grace and and kindness and respect, which which we do. So we always you know talk, check in with the runner, see if they need anything or just a smile and a wave, depending on how they're doing. Not everyone likes to be passed and they sometimes do not like to converse with the person that, that is uh, passing them. And so that's one nice thing about having a pacer when the pacer, the, sometimes the pacer will pass, they're the ones that's passing first and mm. Shelby and Summers, like the sweetest, kindest girls. So they always would talk yeah. and say hi. And sometimes we'd just talk to the other pacer. And so we passed uh, the fifth, place female and so we were now in fifth place and then we descended into geronimo jerome jerome geronimo geronimo, <laughs> geronimo. <laughs> and that descent into jerome was probably one of the most painful parts of the course it was three miles down of all rocks and and i am not kidding when i say there was nowhere else to run on this wide trail except on the rocks on the rock. And the rocks ranged in size from bowling balls, softballs to golf balls. And, and they were, some were sharp, some were smooth. So that didn't feel good on my feet. Yeah, no. Nope. At 
all. Mm-hmm. And, um, but Shelby and I were having such a great conversation and now it was the second night and I was feeling good. I was stoked that I had moved into the top five women. And then I picked up, uh, I was only in there for a couple minutes and I thought, I know it's night, but I want to keep on going. At Jerome? Yeah, at Jerome. Yeah, Jerome, you came in fast. pretty quick. We were curious you know, how you were going to come in. And that East station was pretty cool. They had like a DJ and it was like, it was was pretty, yeah, it was cool. And it was, you came in late. So it was dark and it was a kind of a cool, but I think I came in faster than you guys thought I would too. You did. Yeah. You did cut, you did hit that section a little quicker and you came in and uh, actually it was a funny story because because I was I was parked below and you had to climb up a little bit to get to the aid station. And uh, Tyler went up there because he was like taking pictures and he's, he comes back and he told me the story. He'll, you know, he, you went up there and, and the, you're like, I need to get some coffee. So you go up there and you get, the guy's like, okay, here, you want, you want some cream in there? And you're like looking right at the guy. He, you're like, yeah, I want some cream. Like, All right, just, you know, tell me how much or whatever. And like, he kept pouring it and you weren't saying anything. And he's like, give you a look. He's like, oh, really? Yeah, I don't he, like, remember kept, this. He kept pouring it, I guess. <laughs> and it went all the way to the top of cream. And then he stopped and he's like, okay and, and you like were just staring at him in his eyes didn't say anything and then you like took it and you like started walking away and you look at it and you like realized it was like all creams so you just like pour half of it out and you just kept walking <laughs> <laughs> tyler says you were just like out of it so out of it I, so I don't even clueless. remember that at yeah. all so it was that's funny. so funny but yeah so you came back down i can't remember if you even took anything i think we changed I did, out I your took bottles some quesadillas. Oh station. yeah, yeah. But then for us, I think you just—I bottles. think I changed some bottles, and then you were out, mm-hmm. which is a bummer because Jerome was like really cool. You didn't get to see it because it was know. in the dark, but it was a very cool. You said little it town. reminded you of Switzerland. Yeah, very European, and you know, it was a neat, neat little place. And uh, you know, we got some food there at the Haunted Hamburger. Or, yeah, I think that was called. It's a cool little spot. So running through Arizona made me think. I could actually live in Arizona. Mm-hmm. It's cool. There were so many beautiful cool parts that I've never seen. I've never been to Prescott. I've never been to Sedona. I've never been to Flagstaff. And it's it's crazy because it's only like four hours from Southern California. But there is so much beauty in that place. And it gets a lot of sun. I need to, to live somewhere that has a lot of light. And so I really, really loved that about it. Just a really quick insight too for our listeners. My, my pack was always full with a minimum of one liter of water. And then we did G1M and coconut, and, water. And coconut water quite a bit for the, I would carry a half liter um, two half liter bottles in the front. And then I did all types of sports nutrition and all types of food. So I knew that a race this long, you can't do it on all on one sports no. one. I wasn't going to do it all on G1M. G1M is my sponsor and they are incredibly supportive and amazing. And they understand that about this distance. So they knew I was going to be eating all different types of food and just so many different drinks along the way because the goal is to keep your your stomach strong and happy. And one of the things that happened to me was in the earlier sections when it was super hot and exposed and dry, I was chewing on those salt stick chews, like the orange ones, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, salt stick makes them. They're chewable salt tabs. Mm -hmm. The reason why I like those is because there's only 100 milligrams in salt in them. So you can get, you can kind of microdose your salt. You can eat half a tab because you really want to be careful about not having too much salt. And I'm pretty good about understanding when I need salt. 
Like I can literally feel it like in my brain and in my body. I'll be like, oh, salt. So I would throw those in. I started to develop sores all over my mouth, like full on blisters and food and drink became increasingly difficult for me. So by the time I hit, I want to say probably mile like 160, 170, it was very painful to eat and drink. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later as we talk about the end, but in my pack, I always made sure I had real food sources and then I would grab just whatever gels were around too. So I grabbed like, we had Huma gels and goo gels that I had this one, I think it was like a s'mores goo gel. And the reason why I like that is because it's such a small shot, but the way that I eat those and, and get those calories in is I'll put half of it in my mouth and I immediately chase it with several big gulps of water. So I don't even taste it. And so I was able to get in, like, I'd like try and like hyper load on calories that way. And I was even doing that with sandwiches. I'd take a bite of a sandwich and, and just drink back a ton of water and like the sandwich was gone. It was like disintegrated, but it allowed me to stay hydrated and full of calories like constantly. I, I can't believe how much I was eating in That's that race. That's what Joey Chestnut does on July 4th. Okay. All those you hot in the dogs. hot dog eating contest. Eddie <laughs> loves that thing. It's so gross. And it's so funny because when I would watch the hot dog eating contest with Eddie, I'd be like, it's so gross that he dips that stuff in water. Like, why is he doing that? And, and I'll sure tell you enough, what, it works, it people. Works. It works like a charm. Like it is amazing how much food you can get down when you put food in your mouth and you chase it with water. It it's like unreal. So my pack was always full. I would usually have sandwiches, bananas, um, some type of gels. I did gummy bears, and then when I would go into the aid stations, I would usually grab like. Uh, watermelon, and then very basic things like like just a quesadilla, or a cheese pizza. Um, ramen was my favorite. I had so much ramen, um, that warm water coming in at night, and just noodles are bland. Yeah, and so they're really nice on the belly, but it's it's high calorie, and so I got like I'm high carb, and so that was really nice getting getting that in. Yeah, you do. You always do really well with the ramen. Like Mm -hmm. in other races, right? I used to not be that way. It wasn't until the Choose Strong project that I really started eating like a lot more food and and really understanding. I mean, that whole project really helped me prepare for this this race. Yeah, you ate so much normal, regular food this race. I was like shocked. Me too. I was I was shocked. I was so grateful to not have any intestinal or stomach problems. Yeah, that's right. I didn't throw up. I I mean, it it was pretty awesome. Um, So Summer and I left, and within a uh, a mile or two miles from leaving Jerome, um, we came upon the fourth female. And I think at this point, we were at like mile 130. So we are still 20 miles out from what I had committed to, you know, my race plan was I'm not even going to think about placement until mile 150. Well, when we had passed the fifth female, I knew like, you know, sometimes you just got to grab, grab the opportunity when it presents itself. And, you know, we're still like, I was pretty far into the race already at that point. I'm like, well, you know, I'm just, I'm going to go for it and see what happens. But we came a, a, upon the fifth female and, and Summer, who's just like so gentle and soft-spoken. <laughs> She's like getting fired up all of a sudden. Like, cause I knew that, I mean, Summer races, like she, she finishes on the podium when she races, but she just does not like come off at all as like this, like hardcore competitor. Oh Yeah. 
here we are now in midnight and it's, it's coming out in summer. Like she starts to pick up pace. She's like, you want to pass her? And I was like, dude, we're on a freaking climb summer. And she's like, I know. Uh. And I was like, okay, like, yeah. But and she's like, I know her pacer. And it was really funny because summer had done research on the, this girl's pacer because she knew that the pacer was uploading her Strava. Mm-hmm. And so she was checking at what pace they were going at. Mm-hmm. She's like, you're moving faster than her. I already know what pace they're going at. She's like, you, you're, you're already moving faster than what she did in the last one. Like you're, you're going to do really well right here. I was like, look at you. Okay. Yeah. So summer had been doing research even before she would come into pace. And so we approached her on a climb. We were just about to hit the top anyway, but we were on a road section so it was smooth. It was a bright full moon, which I love running a full moon. And I actually get energy at night. Like it's like, I love running at night. It's like electrifying to me. There's something renewing about it. Um, I usually run very well at night. I, I tend to not struggle with like delirium or hallucinations. It's really rare. And so I was feeling really good and we got to the top. The exchange was very brief and we passed them. And then as soon as we passed, I looked at Summer and I said, we need to gap them immediately. I don't, I don't think anyone from this point on is, is going to want to be passed. And so we need to kind of like send a, a nice little message right here that we feel great. And so we took off. We literally picked up the pace. And when I say picked up the pace in the middle of a 200 mile run, you know, we're not like sprinting, but um, we were moving pretty well. And what we did, and this is like the strategy, is you pick up the pace for 30 seconds and then you recover for about a minute and then you pick up the pace for 30 seconds, recover, and you keep doing that. The change of pace is so short. So the effort is so short that it doesn't overtake you. It doesn't like crush you, but it did help us immediately to put distance on um, the runner behind us. And so we did that probably 10 times. You said Summer had a a different... uh... Yeah. So Summer at this point as we're running, (laughs) Summer has this huge smile on her face. Like she is loving this so much. And I'm literally calling out the workout. Like I went into full on coach's mode. I'm like, all right, here we go. 30 seconds on, let's go. And I think that at some point Drew and Tyler drove by. I'm pretty sure I saw cameras at some point driving by. They were all over the course and like half the time I never knew. Okay. So I think this might be in the film. Um, it might make the film, which will make me laugh so hard because I'm thinking in my mind how fast we're going and it'll probably look like that we're barely, barely jogging. But I'm calling out the workout to Summer and she's like, this is so awesome. And she's like, wait, what do you call it again? Pass Crush and Berry. <laughs> I was like, whoa, okay, crush. Summer Crush. I'm like, that that's your true colors, isn't it? So I'm just like dying. I'm like, that's actually like the more accurate thing that you yeah. want to do. But it's Pass Gap and Berry. I go, right now we're trying to gap them. It'll, not, it, not crush them. Yeah. Gap them. Yeah. <laughs> Tone it down. There. I go, it's going to take us a while to, to bury them. Like, you know, burying is like several miles where so you, you need mm-hmm. to kind of keep pushing in those miles. And, you know, with these races, because people are resting and sleeping at different rates, you know, you can, you can be two miles ahead of someone and that really is not a big deal. Yeah, know. You know, you stop and rest in the aid station for 20 minutes. Guess what? You're getting past. So yep. like say goodbye to your two mile lead. And so for me, what was important was I, I was working on, I wanted to get a, a minimum of a 10 
mile lead on the girl that was right behind me and then try to do upwards of 15 miles on, on the next girl behind, behind her. And so that's kind of like, that was the goal. And so I would just call out the intervals. So we would do 30 seconds and then I would do the countdown. All right, we got five more seconds left, four, three, two, one. And we do a really slow, like jog and maybe even walk a little bit. And then I'd be like, all right, here you go. And three, two, one. And then we'd start again. So that was one of my favorite sections of the race because it was then in that moment that I knew I was like, okay, now, now we actually are, you know, we're racing. Racing. Like, this is what I love. Like, this is just like what fires me up. This is what I trained for. I, you know, I shared in our YouTube about doing the jackpot ultra. The reason why I did that was I wanted to see how well I could run on a very tired, very beaten up, well-trained body. And, you know, I went to jackpot ultra with nothing. I mean, I was coming off a massive mileage, a lot of time in the gym. I was not rested at all. And, um, you know, the goal was to run those hundred miles and just see what it felt like. And I definitely remembered that in, in these moments when summer and I started moving, I I told myself, I trained for this. Mm -hmm. I trained to push. I trained to be able to run at this point in the race when I've already covered so much distance. So we continued pushing. And I, I think by the time we saw you again, I had put almost six miles on, on the runner behind us. Mm -hmm. But because we had pushed so hard, I then came into that aid station was right before the sun rose Mm -hmm. and Shelby was, was going to be picking me up. Um, I was in, I was in a lot of pain when I, when I came in there. And I think that was kind of the start is Shelby and I made our way to Sedona where I had a little, a little bit of a, a low, uh, point sun started rising. You know, at this point we were in fourth place and I think we just stayed in fourth place the whole time. And because we had moved so well, you know, and I love this about you, Eddie, like you were always well aware of the three women ahead. Mm -hmm. And so you were like, Sally, you are moving so well. You're like less than 10 miles away from third place. And I, I definitely had that in my heart of like, dude, I, I can catch, mm-hmm. I can catch if I feel good, if I have something in me, like I can probably get up on that, on that podium if I can push. So Shelby and I made our way to Sedona, started getting hotter, you know, those miles started adding up. I celebrated the fact that we were now past 150 miles. I mean, it was really exciting, you know, getting past 150 miles. But as we came into Sedona, you, I sat down and I think I laid on the cot for like 10 minutes there inside, tried to get a little bit of burger in me, some food. My feet were bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, the live feed was on us the whole time. I I do remember that as I sat in the chair. I remember seeing the Grossmans and their little kids and... We had caught up to some people that I was surprised to see actually when, when we got there, I was like, oh shoot, this must be a point of struggle, Mm -hmm. um, for a lot of other runners and not just me. But I think what I was genuinely struggling with was that I knew that the river crossing was coming up and you know, when you're fatigued physically, it's, it's easy to, you know, the, the brain's fatigued too. Mm -hmm. And I think at this point in the race, I, I was just tired of being strong. I was tired of enduring. I was tired of pushing and I wanted the, the pain to stop and there was nothing that I could do about it. I will say like your 
calmness and you had so much belief in me you, at this point too. You're like, you were doing so good, Sally. Like, yeah, you were moving really well to get to that point, especially through all that pain. That was really impressive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember when you were sitting there, you were tired, you were exhausted and trying to eat something. But yeah, you kept thinking that mile 170 is when you're crossing that water. Right. And I remember talking to you through couple different strategies of, Hey, this is what we can do. It's up to you. I know you don't want to take your shoes off, but you know, one option is to take them off and wade through the water and dry them off and put your shoes and socks back on the other side. Or I know we talked about putting uh, trash bags up to your like knees and kind of wading through because the water would only went up to the knees at that point or a little higher than the mm-hmm. knees or something like that. So there was just so many big, right. giant, jagged rocks, and it was so slippery. Like, yeah. you had to hold on to the rope mm-hmm. with both hands. Mm-hmm. That's the only way you could go through. Yeah. You had to just... But yeah, I think part of it was just kind of giving you some, some options to see where your mind space was and like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, they, those aren't going to work. Or, you know, just to share with you just some different ways to approach what's coming up. Yeah, that, that, that part in Sedona was what you were pretty tired and mm-hmm. in pain. Shelby was such a bright light. She was so excited. She loved that section. I'd never been to Sedona. Yeah, I know you had it like you and I were both just reeling. Like we love those rocks and yeah, I was stoked that you yeah. came in at a time where we can see it and I you know, know. it's perfect part, you know, part of the day to, to experience. And it. I literally like I had passed a Starbucks. I'm like, Oh, I hope he goes and gets a Starbucks. And he did. <laughs> I was literally trolling in the chat at the, at that point. <laughs> no, it was good. I knew you'd have like a, a cool place to sit. And it was more of that. I was like, I know Eddie so well. Like, I know he's overwhelmed that he probably can't like be working right now. And he feels behind on work. And he knows there's all these other things going on. I mean, Eddie manages probably the amount of what three people should be doing within our business. And so the seeing Starbucks is more of like, okay, good. It's an air conditioning place that he can like sit with Wi-Fi and just relax and, um, you know, get after things and kind of have a break from, from the car. But no, um, it was nice to during the aid stations when I would wait and, uh, I would make sure I have all the things kind of set out and ready to go in case you came in. But yeah, I would try to, you know, get into a Starbucks, get some internet and get in the chat and mm-hmm. update people and, you know, just to kind of keep them in the loop versus following your little tracker kind of giving them this is what she's kind of dealing with this is what she's said the last aid station she's Mm -hmm. you know whatever so I thought that was nice to have to change it up for me Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that was a that that was good to see before that but yeah Shelby and I we went we continued on and she played some music and kept reminding me of this, the, the river crossing coming up. And, you know, we joked about like me, like sitting on her shoulders and going across the river. And, you know, we had some good laughs, which, which helped as far as like just preparing me to just come on, stay, stay light, stay positive. And that definitely is who Shelby is. But I stepped into that water. I, I slipped, um, like right away, you know, Shelby went across and then, Um, I just kind of stood there for a minute and it was, you know, Howie was on one side. If you guys know Howie, he's, he's so incredible. He's the one that takes all the most amazing pictures and portraits before and after the, the race. He's very well known in the ultra community. So he was on one side of the river and then Drew and Tyler were both there too. So, um, I know this is going to make the film, but this, this point was probably the lowest point for me in the race because, 
it was just a moment of accepting that things were about to get worse when I didn't think that they could feel any worse. And all of my humanness just kind of, I'm going to start crying, just kind of like hit me. And I'm pulling myself across with this rope and I just start crying. I I had to kind of block out the visual of what was going on in my feet in that moment. And I knew that the giant climb that we had out of the water was going to just grind my feet up for, for good. And it, and it did. That climb was in, incredibly painful. I, I think that having Shelby there was, you know, a real blessing because we just, she tried to keep my mind off of the climb by having just a, con- we had a conversation about life. I mean, we, we talked about so much stuff, but you know, she's just a bright light and, and we just had conversation, but you know, deep in, deep inside, I, uh, I was really struggling and I didn't, it, it's one of those things. Um, I've had a couple races where I've, I've kind of had to suck in some, some discomfort and realizing like there's nobody that can feel what I feel. There's no one that can crawl into my body and there's no amount of me talking about it to Shelby that's going to make it go away or it's going to change the situation. If anything, it's just going to be me sounding like I'm complaining and, you know, Shelby and Summer and everyone is already aware that my feet were bad, but it's not like I needed to keep on reminding them, you know, like, what is that going to do? Um, the goal is to get to the finish line, not to sit and complain about how bad my feet hurt. And again, it was going back to weighing in on what was going on. You know, I didn't have bones sticking out of my skin. I wasn't like, I didn't have organ failure. This was just like the nerves in my feet and the skin and these sores and it's just getting worse and it just made it painful. So really this was about pain tolerance and me talking myself through what I was doing every step of the way and trying to stay positive in order to reach that goal that meant so much to me. And I knew that other people out on the course were struggling with discomfort too. Everyone was at this point, like you're struggling with sleep deprivation, you're struggling with stomach issues, you're struggling with, you know, intestinal issues. And, you know, there's people out there that had blisters as well. And like a lot of people were hurting out Mm. there. And so I think I always want to make sure to remind myself that I'm not alone in this pain and it's not a pain to be compared. You know, it's not like my pain's worse than yours. Like it, it's never that, but it's realizing like we're unified in that and we are stronger than it. And I knew that if I got my mind focused that I could keep going. And it took me many, many miles because by the time we made it up to you, Eddie, we climbed out of Sedona we made it up to you. What was that aid station called? It was, um, it was called yeah, uh, Schnebly. Yeah, Schnebly yeah. Hill. Oh, Dom- Dominic Grossman came running out and he saw me and he gave me some words of encouragement. But I remember I sat in that chair and I think I had some tears there too. And I was very, very low. I just, I had a moment where I thought, gosh, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to keep going. What mile marker was that? Uh, 180. Yeah, 180. So I still had 70 miles to go. Yeah, I just needed a minute. I had some, had some ramen. I ate. 
I think I went and sat in the front passenger seat to kind of just like hide a little bit. I did change because I knew I was going to be going to the night soon. Yeah. So I, I got out of some pretty sweaty clothes. I changed. I think that's when I changed in that whole green outfit, mm-hmm. which I don't think I ever took off yeah, um, right. from that point on. So I wore that green outfit for the 70 miles onward because we were up high. It started to get windy. I don't ever, I'd never struggle with like the heat again, but the wind was very, very apparent. And I was so beaten down mentally and physically, I knew that that outfit was like a shield. It was like a shield about me that it's not heavy. It kind of looks like it is, but it's basically the Nike running pro team uh, warm up for like storm conditions. So like, let's say like the Nike running road athletes get it, the track and field athletes get it, and then the trail runners get it. And we have two different types of warmups. That one is if like you're in a part of the world or in a race where it's like raining or like snowing and you're trying to warm up for the race, like that's what you'll wear before the race or maybe that's what you wear post-race or something like that. But it's great because it has zippers up all the way almost to your knees so you can slip your shoes on and off really easily. Um, the jacket is awesome because it, you can Velcro the, the sleeves into your wrists to keep them nice and tapered, but the whole thing is taped. All the seams are taped. So it's great in the wind. It's waterproof, but it's light. And I kept that on for the last 70 miles. And like every time those big gusts of wind would come in, like I just felt like this protection. And then I kept my sun hat on and covered up my face, my eyes. Like I just kind of went into this shell and I'd say, you know, I had a, a couple moments inside that shell that I had to work through some some uh, dark and low moments. But I had a pacer with me every step of the way that was staying positive. And um, from the outside, though, you look tough. Right. Yeah. Maybe right. On the inside, you were struggling. But on the outside, right? you're looking pretty tough. And Did, look at look at that metaphor. E- right. Even like, the chat. The chat was like, <laughs> dude, what's this green suit that she's got going on? Like, Everyone was, wants the green the suit. It is a ideal outfit if you have multi-day races or you are in extreme weather. I can't express enough. And I would say even for the for the people up front, I didn't see what it was that they're wearing. I, I did see some long sleeves and stuff mm-hmm. like that and long tights. But overall, when you protect your skin, eyes, nose, and mouth too, from the elements, you are allowing yourself to not lose energy at a faster rate doesn't break you down as much um mentally so that was the last 70 mile stretch uh we had one more push with shelby as i came into mile 210 my message to my whole crew was this when i hit the final 3,000 foot climb which is the you know you're at that point you are only eight or nine miles from the finish yeah i told them Unfortunately, I know that I will struggle greatly on that climb. Um, We also climb up to 9,000 feet just with some of the breathing stuff that I have going on uh, because of the duration of the activity that we were in. I knew that I would have a really hard time breathing and, and climbing and moving well. So the section that Shelby picked me up on was flat. And I told her, I said, Shelby, I want to move fast. 
I am hurting so much that you cannot run next to me. I need you just to run a little bit in front of me. I'm just going to watch the back of your head and we are going to move as, as fast as we can because I want to bury five and six because they will catch me on the climb if we don't. So when we left mile 211, the fifth female was only like eight miles behind me. And then the sixth female was like 11 miles behind me. And I said, let's go, like, let's put some distance on him. By the time we got to the climb, I was 15 miles ahead yeah. of a uh, female five and over 20 miles and 22 miles ahead of, of number six. Mm-hmm. And that was like the first time that I was confident in finishing in fourth place. Yeah. You know, I had a little bit of sadness, I think like, you know, cause you kept telling me, keep moving. You're moving so well. And like when I was in single digit distance reach of the third place female, I thought, man, like, you know, I had the the moment of weakness of like, I wish my feet like didn't hurt so bad. I wish that I could, you know, push a little bit harder, but um, Shelby and I moved really well. We passed a lot of people. I was very happy to know that the body was able to do that. Like that we were able to like actually pick up the pace. If you look at my Strava, of course the pace doesn't seem that fast, but we were going like 12 minute miles, which was, you know, that felt good to do at the very end of a 250 mile race. My Strava, it comes out to like 261. So the mile, the miles that we're saying are probably off from the Strava, but you'll see a little section in there where it's like a lot of 12 minute miles that we are just trying to move as, as best we can. I took one more nap right before the climb with summer. Summer was just this bright, so excited to climb beam of light. And I'll tell you what, uh, so many people said that that last climb was going to be just treacherous, so hard and difficult. So I brought the um, poles out again, thinking that I would use them, but that climb is so similar to, uh, several climbs that I do around here on a regular basis. And by the time we were halfway up it, I asked Summer, I go, when does it start? (laughs) When does it start getting like intense? Like, when am I going to need my poles? And she turned around and looked at me and was like, seriously? And I was like, yeah. I go, she's like, we're more than halfway up. I was like, oh, awesome. I go, I literally love this climb, but we were moving very slow. Like I, I was not strong on it, but didn't need poles on there. The wind gusts were like 30 to 40 miles per hour. Um, I had to stop and cower behind a rock and put on another layer and another. I think I had to put on a, a beanie gloves. Like there was a lot of other layers we put on. When we got to the top, Tyler and Drew were up there and then Pete's Meats was up in the aid station. I sat right down in a seat and I ate pork belly. I ate all these different types of barbecued meat. It was life to to my body because I had not been able to eat something for a solid three hours because the sores on my tongue were so painful. And so I was drinking water. But when I got to the aid station, I told myself, I don't, I I need to eat something. Even if it hurts, I can need to eat something. And it was incredible. I just ate a bunch of meat. We took off down the mountain, the backside of the mountain. And one of the weirdest things in my life that I've never experienced was as we hit the bottom of the mountain, you have to kind of like navigate through this giant dry creek or river or this riverbed that's totally dried out. And then it takes you into that park. What's the name of the park? 
I always want to say Discovery Oh, Buffalo Park. Ranch. Buffalo Ranch yeah. Park. You go in there and then that drops you into the city and that's on your way to the finish line. The weird thing that happened to me is as soon as we got into the dry creek bed on our way to the Buffalo Ranch Park was I recognized every single step. Now, I've never been to Flagstaff in my life, but there wasn't a part of that area that I wasn't familiar with. And it was really weird. It was deja vu over and over again to the point where I didn't even need to navigate. It was like I knew exactly where I was going. And as we got closer and closer to the street, we 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 go through the park and I'm looking around and I'm freaking out at how well I know every step. I've, so I've been here before. I've been here before. I Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And then like Lucid Sally is saying, you've never been here before. Like, no, you've, you've never been to Flagstaff in your life. Like, how could you be at this park? But nothing was new. We then get to the street corner and we cross the street. And it was then that I realized, oh my gosh, we're going to finish this thing. And the feelings that I had really started to compound. If, if any of you were able to see how I finished this race, all I can say is that it was a celebration for you and a celebration of overcoming so much pain. And I think that one of the most beautiful parts, and I knew that the live feed, you know, it came on me. I was in so much discomfort on that street, like the, the sidewalk hurt to run on. Mm-hmm. Like I was like craving to be back on the dirt. The sidewalk like hurt. So I was like fast walking, jogging. And the, there was a couple cameras on me. There was, I think Trail Junkies had a camera on me. The live feed was on me. Drew, Drew and Tyler on me. There's a lot of people on the street and it was still early enough in the evening. I think it was like around eight o'clock. So there's a lot, the, the town was lively. And, um, and I, I could hear the live feed, like the commentators are asking me questions and I was able to answer a little bit of it. And because you, Eddie, had told me that so many people were watching in the live feed, I just felt like this, it was weird, like just this overwhelming support and love just like coming through. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I hit that alleyway, that iconic right turn, and I saw that finish line, it was like I had this very like, it was like a spiritual outer body experience where I just like took off. And it was like, I think for anyone listening, if you've ever had a rough race or a race has felt long or just hard, or you've missed your mark, but you still are getting that finish line. And when you see that finish line, it's like suddenly you have this weird energy, you know, and it's only the energy that comes when you see the finish line, when you realize that all the struggle, all the challenges, like whatever I was feeling like it's done, it's in the past, like we did it, it's, it's behind. And I think seeing that finish line for me was like, I overcame again and again and again and again. And this is for you. Like, this is like how strong we are. The human body is so powerful and we are capable of overcoming so much more than we think we are. And so to sprint down that alleyway and to jump over that finish line and just to celebrate the way I did was a full on celebration of overcoming pain and celebrating what we did as a community and really in just praise of the fact that this is what we are capable of doing. Like we, we did this. Yeah. That finish was pretty awesome. Pretty epic. I mean, nobody, I mean, in the live feed or actually being there, I think expected you to (laughs) do what you did. So 
It was painful. Yeah. Well, (laughs) yeah, it didn't look painful. It looked pretty awesome. Will be my favorite finish of my life of all time. For sure. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Job well done. Job well done to you, Ed. For what? (laughs) Eating my Pringles and my beef sticks. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Shout out to Eddie McRae. The greatest crew chief of all the time. The greatest. I, it's, it's really interesting, I, I have to say, that just the sight of your face, like you get this look, I've known you since I was 18, but there was a couple times this look on your face where you had so much compassion for me, but at the same time you were just like, I could feel you're so proud of me. Mm-hmm. Totally. And it just like was so moving and it really help me like I would carry that with me from aid station to aid station and it was like coming home every time I think there is again like just that parallel to life like it like life isn't meant to be done alone Mm. and you know I I think at the end of the day like sometimes we overlook crew we overlook our support system and it's easy to think that the person that's in the lights is the greatest part of the event and it's just not true and I know that I couldn't have done it without your support, without you being there. And I just know that this is, I mean, we talked about it on the way home. I said, isn't it so cool? Like the adventures that we've had in the last 12 months. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about Chew Strong Project was only like eight months ago. Yeah, yeah. Like we, <laughs> we've done so much and looking back on, on some of these adventures, like they are hilarious mm-hmm. and exhausting and shocking and, this is just another one. So yep, yep. I'm proud of you. Proud of you. you uh, you're you the one that had to run it and did <laughs> run it. People want to know how much did you sleep? What was sleeping like for you? For me, I slept, let's see, for the first two nights, probably a total of like an hour and a half. Not much. I told you people. And then. See, this is why I worry funny. about him. It's funny. I had so many people come up to me like during the race, like, Eddie, are you sleeping? Yeah. Because like, I really said checking it so in much. On me. I know. Yeah. <laughs> They were like really checking in on me. And even in the chat, like, hey, Eddie, are you getting some sleep? Mm-hmm. Make sure you're taking care of yourself. Yes, so I felt very, how much I worry very about loved you. on the, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the first two nights I didn't sleep much. And then by that third night, man, I was very tired mm-hmm. and I did, there was a stretch where you had to go for 22 miles, I think. And I only had to drive like 15 minutes or something to the next station. And I was able to get uh, like five hours mm-hmm. uh, asleep. And I think I, the next day I was able to get a couple hours also. So yeah, I, I got, I got some rest, not enough. He but got eight hours and four days is what he's saying. Yeah. I'm caught up now, but yeah, no, it was, it wasn't bad. Quick rundown, quick questions that you've been getting from the community. Just really short responses that I can give. I mean, how are your feet? That's kind of the big, the big one. The feet, they, they are getting better every day because this is my first time experiencing this like obviously in my mind I'm like wow this is this is really bad I had so many wound nurses and doctors reach out to me which was like the most loving kind selfless thing like really helping me to know how to care for him so while we were driving home I ordered a wound cleanser called Vash V-A-S-H-E and I have been treating them three times a day. I've been soaking them in Epsom salt. So I'll treat them and then air them out, like really dry them out because that's kind of what you want. Like you want to dry them out, get that skin out. Like I said earlier, I had like 10 pretty significant wounds. The one on my right heel is probably the worst. I'd say that's probably the most one of concern that's the the slowest slowest healing 
But here we are. Today is Wednesday, and we're six days out from when I finished. And I'm thinking that probably by next week I'll be able to wear shoes. I decided on Monday that I would go back to training. I really am a big believer in routine and just staying focused, regardless of like pace and intensity. I'm not running, but stretching, mobility, doing some strength, keeping my body balanced. Um, Like I said, I have any like soreness or any other issues. It's really just my feet. I'm definitely letting myself sleep quite a bit, get anywhere between eight and 12 hours a day. I'm eating a ton, but um, the feet are getting better. And and obviously I'm going to have a full recovery. Our next 200 is at the end of July. That's Tahoe 200, which originally was supposed to be June 16th. And when I think about that running in five weeks, I am so grateful that it was moved to July, Mm -hmm. which is because of snowpack. We had historical snowfall this year in California. Um, It will allow my feet to, you know, heal a little bit better. So yeah, blisters, they they are getting there and uh, I'm going to be okay. I'm not like hobbling or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's like any other wound that, that you have, you have to give it time and care and attention. And um, I'm fine with that. That doesn't make me anxious or upset or anything. Like I'm like, yeah, that's, I knew that there would be some significant recovery that was worth it to me while I was racing. I, I trained so focusedly and, and um, hard for this race that mm-hmm. I was willing to have a longer recovery. And again, I can't stress enough how important it is that, you know, that we, we look at our own discomfort and pain and challenges, whether in a race or in life, and know that it's very unique to us. And we know what our thresholds are, what we can handle, and uh, it's okay to push, push through. I don't think that we always need to think that discomfort and pain is a bad thing. We, it is wise to evaluate like the overall goal and, and what is going on. And, you know, like I said, if I was like had a broken bone or like rhabdo, like I definitely would not have continued because that's just foolish. You know, I love the sport too much to, you know, do something so foolish that would put me in the hospital or end my life. Yeah, so. Yeah. so now that you've done a 250 mile race, were you trying to plan on doing a podcast that was two hours and 50 minutes? Because it's going <laughs> that it's going that way. You poor thing have to edit this. This is going to be a, a double listen. I feel like people are going to come back to this two or three times to finish the whole thing. So if you have made it this far, you get like double big kudos, double golden stars from us. Double golden stars. Yeah. Yes. In fact, if you have come this far, repost this with double golden stars emojis. Mm. And Eddie and I will give you that nod of yes, you have made it. You have made it this far. Yeah. Long podcast, but this has been really fun to chronicle. I think this is something that you and I, Eddie, will even go back and listen to in 20 years and have Mm -hmm. a good laugh. And we're still in it right now. So this is a pretty raw, real account. Like we're we're still feeling this. Mm -hmm. Um, We still have bins unpacked in our garage right now that when we walk in, we're like, oh yeah, that just happened. But moving forward this week, I mean, our McKenzie has uh, CIF finals in in track and field. We got Isaiah full blown into football training right now. And um, our kids are looking at the last, you know, five weeks of um, high school before they set off for summer break. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be healing and just planning on 
building back up for Tahoe 200 at the end of July. But we want to encourage you guys keep following along because there is going to be a film about this race. There isn't a title yet. And maybe by the time you listen to this podcast, it is already out. So if you are unaware of our YouTube channel, we want to encourage you to please subscribe. It's Sally McRae Strength. You can also just put in Sally McRae in the YouTube search engine and I will pop up. But we have a whole series called Training for a 200 Mile Race. Right now, there are 14 episodes in that series that you can go back and watch that chronicles the beginning of my training for Cocodona 250 up until race week. We are going to get out a little bit more content around this series and the film will launch in a couple weeks, but we are going to continue to pour out some content on that channel. We've had so much fun doing it. We have a lot of other fun series coming up. And again, uh, we encourage you to pre-order my book, Choose Strong, uh, which will be dropping on June 4th, anywhere where you buy a book. And then if you would like to continue supporting us and our work, we lovingly encourage you to download my Sal McRae Strength app. But for now, thank you for being a part of the community. Thank you so much for being a part of the journey. At the end of the day, we hope whatever part of this podcast you listen to today, that you were encouraged and that you felt hopeful and strengthened. And we hope that you keep choosing strong. <laughs>